In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I was in the darkest part of ever being and with society had a little leg on top of my head. People say to me, no, I don't miss it at all. I'm like, okay, you're either very lucky or are you really being honest yourself? It's just a government again, similar to kind of the, the housing crisis. Like the roads are a disgrace. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Yeah, it's alright, I'm here. It's alright, don't be getting worried at all. <laughs> Good morning to you Thursday. Glorious morning. Didn't Kieran sort of, well, he didn't disappoint. I think we all breathed a very heavy sigh of relief when he kind of took a general look in our direction and seems to have decided we've had enough here. For the moment, at least, he's giving England and parts of France a hell of a time and has been overnight. And the Channel Islands, Kieran, gave them a terrible time overnight. But we seem to, at least, we seem to have escaped his wrath. Um, he he's he threw he threw down some rain, and uh, that was about the size of it. Unless I'm missing something, but I think once again. Alan O'Reilly was right um, at Carlo Weather. He, he was saying yesterday, in the course of his maps during the day, Alan was saying that it looked as if Kieran uh, would give us a, a steer uh, away, and, and he was right in the end. Speaking of Kieran, um, <laughs> it's been very funny listening to the British, descri- uh, you know, try- trying to use the name. I mean, for goodness sake, Keir on. Is there nobody in a British newsroom anywhere who could just have turned around to his or her colleagues and said, Keir on. They can't pronounce it. Like it's, they're calling it Kieran. And if you know anybody called Kieran, or sorry, if you know anybody who's called Kieran, they don't like being called Kieran, I have a good friend called Kieran, a um, friend of mine for many a long day, who hates being called Kieran. His name is Kieran, and he will stop you and tell you, my name is Kieran. It is not Kieran. So they're calling this storm Kieran in, in the UK, and uh, I don't think it's going down well with the Kirans of the world. 
Speaking of which, there's a, an interesting story. If you are a Kiron or a Sean or an Orla, you now have a right to your own fodder. To your what, PJ? Your own fodder. I'll come back to it. Did you know what Orla... I didn't know this until I read it in the paper. Do you know what Orla without the O fodder means? Really? Do you? (laughs) Maybe you don't want to. I'll come back to that. Good morning. Thursday morning, the 2nd of November. Uh, 0818-9696-96. The number, the text or WhatsApp is 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. If you follow the story of dangerous dogs or dangerous breeds or risky breeds or breeds that can do harm to you, You'll know we've had quite a number of dog attacks in Ireland in recent months, in particular one where a woman has ended up in CUH uh, with serious injuries. In Britain, they've taken a move in the last week or so and they have banned the ownership of an XL bully. If you have one already, you're going to have to get special paperwork and a special permit to hold on to that dog after I think it is the 1st of January 2024 and ownership of XL bully dogs is banned in the UK from January 1. We don't have any banned breeds in Ireland. We have a list of restricted breeds that come with particular rules and I'm sure you know an awful lot of them that are on that list. Pit bull terriers, bull mastiffs, Bull Terriers, the German Shepherd. I often wonder if the German Shepherd belongs on that list because they can be very gentle, intelligent dogs. They really can. And some German Shepherds are brilliant with kids, but they're on the list anyway. The Rhodesian Ridgeback is on it, which is a frightening-looking creature. Um, The Staffy. And my daughter, who's a veterinary nurse, would fight with you till the ends of the earth about the Staffy. She loves Staffies. Uh, there was an attack um, in Wexford on Tuesday in Enniscorthy. So we have a problem with dogs. And XL bullies, they seem to be the problem here as well as in the UK. Catherine Griffin is with Snout and About. She's a dog behaviourist. Catherine, this is an old discussion, an old argument. Is it the dog, is it the breed, or is it a bad owner? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Okay, you're going to have to bear with me because I have a lot I need to say on this particular subject. The floor is yours. We've got all (laughs) I love dogs, but I would not have an XL bully near me, but many would disagree. Yeah, and I think this is where the problem lies. It's all to do with misinformation. And first and foremost, it's really important for the general public and for owners of bull breeds not to panic because of this misinformation out there. And I hope what I'm about to say will actually help to form educated conversation around the breed and the problems with the current legislation. So the response to these devastating attacks is a knee-jerk reaction from the government. And it's essentially the equivalent of putting a small sticky plaster over a huge gaping wound. And first and foremost, as you said that, you won't want an XL bully near you. I can definitely guarantee I know many XL bullies who would absolutely break those barriers of what our assumptions of these dogs are. So, number one, it's really important that people understand the dog and the breed and what it's about. So, it's it's not actually even a breed um, here. It's not a breed in the UK. It's mm. a mishmash of 
varying different types of bulldogs that are bred for aesthetic and not for purpose. Mm. And around bull breeds, again, there's an awful lot of mythology around them. No breed is designed to be more aggressive to humans than another. Bull breeds do not have a lockjaw mechanism. This is just a common myth. And the temperament of the dog boils down to two things. And that is the breeding and the upbringing. And this is where in Ireland that these problems begin, because Mm. we are currently experiencing a welfare epidemic in Ireland with our dogs. And we have a horrendous reputation for the illicit breeding and they come and go in popularity. You know, in the 70s, it was Dobermans, then it was Rottweilers, then it was Shepherds and then it was Pitbulls. And now we have our XLs and we just keep adding these dogs to the list. But Mm. Dogs come and go in popularity. Look at the rise of cockapoos or French bulldogs and XLs have also become popular. And where there's demand for a breed, there is also backyard breeders churning out puppies for profit. And these puppies are being raised in sheds and worse environments. And this is during their critical fear development period where they're not being exposed adequately to people and other various stimulus in the world, which means we are breeding enormous anxiety-related behaviours into our dogs, which only tend to surface during adolescence and adulthood. And then on top of that, the dog training and behaviour industry isn't regulated, Mm. with the vast majority of trainers using punishing and aversive techniques like shock collars, prong collars, and lead jerking, which is designed to suppress the dog into compliance out of fear. And these techniques have been proven to increase the likelihood of aggressive responses in our dogs. So we're effectively breeding and training for aggressive behaviours because of the lack of regulation and packing that into a dog that's of great strength. But the XL bully, by its breed, is no more likely to cause injury than another dog of a similar size. Any dog is capable of being dangerous. And I've worked with more high-end human-directed aggression with Labradors and Cocker Spaniels than I have Pit Bulls, XLs or any other restricted breed. Can I jump in at this point, Catherine, uh, and perhaps (laughs) unpick it a little bit? Uh, And as I say, my daughter is a veterinary nurse and and would loves Staffies, for example. Doesn't understand Mm -hmm. why anybody would have an an issue with with Staffies. But here's my thing with an XL bully. Why would you want to own a dog that can break bone with a head of that is pure muscle and bone? Well, the thing is, any any dog is capable of causing mass injury or potential fatality. So they are very powerful dogs, but so are Labradors. They I, I have very extreme- much doubt a Cavalier King Charles could do the same damage as an XL bully cat. Well, no, because we've bred Cavalier King Charles for a purpose. They're they're bred to be a lap dog. And unfortunately, we're also breeding Brachycephalic Cavalier King Charles, which actually yeah. can inhibit their potential the to cause injury dogs. because they're of the shape awful, of their that's face. That's terrible, yeah. That's terrible, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in relation to the actual legislation piece, so restricting dog breeds, we know it doesn't work. It has never been effective at reducing bites or fatalities. And when we're talking about this stuff, it's really important that we adhere to the facts. And we quite literally have 32 years of data to prove restricting dogs doesn't work. And actually, since restricted legislation came into place, we've seen an increase in dog bites. The popularity of certain powerful breeds throughout the year has added to this list as it goes it's nothing to do with the dog it's to do with the levels of ownership and the greatest issue is a lack of education and lack of law enforcement around dog breeding dog training and dog ownership I know. there you go dog breeds, training. i mean i'm sure work. i'm sure you're extremely good at what you do and there are many out there like you but there are also cowboys Absolutely. And unfortunately, we are a little bit overrun with them and you can have a very flashy website and you can have some glossy um, 
customer reviews, but essentially we do have data around the use of aversive punishing training to prove that it is more likely to elicit aggressive responses in our dogs. So what we need to look at is rather than this knee-jerk response and restricting yet another breed or another type, is a review of dog breeding for a start and law enforcement in relation to responsible dog ownership. Um, We want to increase numbers of dog wardens, but we also need to train and educate our wardens in dog behaviour, but have that training come from a certified professional because the training they receive is enormously inadequate. And we also want to regulate my industry, the dog training and behaviour industry, and we need heavier penalties for those who do not adhere to the legislation. And licensing that counts, licensing that includes education and awareness, because when you think about when we own a car, we have to sit a theory test, Mm -hmm. um, we have to do a series of lessons and an examination, and a similar approach to owning an emotional animal with teeth regardless of their size or their breed, should also be mandatory. And when you look at the UK and some of the things that they've recently brought into place in terms of this legislation, um, it is now a criminal offence to, as you said, uh, coming into effect as of the 31st of December, sell an XL, abandon one, give one away or breed from. You need to be over 16. You need public liability insurance. They need to be neutered if they're over a year of age. Mm. And you need to send that information to DEFRA um, to get a certificate of exemption. So, How do you feel about all those restrictions, Catherine? Some of them I'm actually quite fond of because as the ones that I just listed there, for some of these, if this was the dog licence and if similar laws were applied to all dogs, not all of the laws they're bringing in in the UK, um, and they were actually enforced, we could actually begin to tackle the issue of not only the welfare epidemic we're experiencing, but also reduce bites and bite-related fatalities, having strict licensing and law enforcement around responsible dog ownership is what we need to be looking at since the legislation was introduced 32 years ago bites have increased we know it's not effective so mm. it boggles my mind couple, to even be couple, something couple that government was thinking about do, do you accept or do you not accept that some breeds of dog i uh, use breed uh, species whichever you prefer but some breed of dog be more genetically prone to aggression. Do you accept that? No, not in that terminology. So we have to be careful around the way we use the word aggression. So if you look at a Jack Russell Terrier, for example, they are genetically selected to find that rat and kill it and shake it and rag it and move on. So that Mm -hmm. is aggressive behaviour. They're not going to attack a toddler, Catherine. Well, they do. And we do have reports and information about small dogs, small breeds causing fatalities to children as well. And we usually get most of this data from the States. Um, any dog is capable of biting. There is not a breed. We do not have the scientific information, data or knowledge about a dog being more likely to aggress towards a human than another dog. And this boils down to the fact that despite there actually being numerous dog fatalities around the world, dogs are taken and destroyed which I obviously would agree with in these instances. But what we need to be doing is researching these dogs, holding these dogs, assessing these dogs to gather data and information and scientifically assessing the animal to get information about what does cause a dog to want to attack and maim a human being so we can work to prevent this from happening in the future. Well, isn't it a way that we have... I understand where you're coming from with regard to this, but you you say that the bites have gotten worse since we brought in the restrictions and and all of that. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Let's just look look at the XL bully and versus the Jack Russell. Um, If I've read one media report about an XL bully turning on someone 
in the last year. I've read a dozen. It's, I've never read a report of a Jack Russell doing harm to a child. Never. So the reports, so okay, if you research this stuff, if you go online and you look for the information that we can find on this, it will be there. So the vast majority of dog bites occur from a dog we know and a dog in the home. As a result, a lot of dog bites aren't actually reported. And a lot of dog bites that result in hospital treatment aren't actually reported. The data that we get is when the authorities are involved. So there's a lot of missing key information here that we don't hold onto. And bearing in mind, a Jack Russell Terrier is a Terrier, as is a Pitbull, as is an XL Bully. They actually all come under the same category. Mm. So they're so they're, they're quite similar in, okay. in many respects. Okay. I'm, I'm going but, with your expertise here, but I'm, I'm also going to challenge it a little bit along the way, as I'm, as I'm sure do. my listeners would, would expect me to, to, to do. And we're all, many of us, of course. I'm a dog lover myself. I, I, I don't think a house is complete without a dog. Um, but, but, yeah. but, but when... When someone comes to you, right, Catherine, and says, I'm thinking of getting a dog for the kids, or I'm thinking of getting a dog for ourselves because I'd love a dog. I used to have a dog growing up. I wanted to, I'd love to have a dog now. Surely there are certain breeds that you'd say, well, I wouldn't recommend having them around children. Surely. I usually would recommend <laughs> absolutely the fact that no dog is good around kids and no child is good around a dog. It doesn't matter what type of dog you have. It is the temperament and the individual dog, not the breed. Here I will argue with you. I will argue with you. Okay, but when we case of the humble Cavalier King, the Cavalier King Charles, I would have, I would humbly argue that the Cavalier King Charles is a dog almost designed for children, whereas others would not be. So I. I've worked with Cavalier King Charles, for example, that would express what we call stereotypic behaviours, which are very maladaptive, repetitive behaviours that can be really detrimental to their welfare. So in light of that, maybe I wouldn't recommend a Cavalier in that instance with the problems that they, the congenital heart defects oh, and yeah, problems well, that, that they have. They would true. prefer a quieter home environment. Yeah. So even a dog like a Collie, for example, if we're getting it from a rescue or if it's an ex-working Collie, we might see a lot of herding behaviours. They need more attention then maybe something like a cavalier would, so would it be fair on that dog? When it comes to safety, it is down to the individual dog and not the breed. When we're talking about behaviour, the effects on this are multifaceted. There's no one reason why a dog may be more aggressive than another dog. It is so multilayered. We're even talking about epigenetics and their influences on dogs' behaviour at the moment. But unfortunately, I'm talking about... What's, What's epigenetics? So this is essentially the effects um, of genetic genetic change based on our experiences and how this can actually be passed down to offspring, essentially. Um, A completely big topic for another day entirely. But essentially, when we're having these conversations about breed, this is why, because Ireland is a nation of dog lovers, one in four homes has a dog, and everybody is an expert on dogs. Every, it's a bit like when you have a child and then everybody tells you what you should and shouldn't be doing, what the facts are and aren't. But there are professionals who understand research and dedicate their lives to their knowledge about these dogs. And this is where we should be seeking our information from, not from Mick down the road because he's had dogs all his life or know somebody who got bit by a bully. We should be looking at the hard-lined facts that we have out there when we're looking at everything from the genetics to the biology, the ethology and the neurology of dogs. Mm. When we're discussing something as serious as aggression, it does not do its service to just have thought and assumption. We need to be looking at facts in order to prevent 
devastating attacks from happening on people in the future. But let's pin that question down a little bit. In your experience, vast so it is, you, you don't believe, I think I'm hearing you say, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't believe that certain breeds are more prone to aggression than others. It's not that I don't believe, it's a, it's a fact. We have nothing to state that certain breeds are more aggressive. So, no, I, I do not believe that certain breeds are more aggressive than others because it, it is my job to work from a scientific evidence-based perspective and there is no scientific evidence out there to support that theory. Okay. Should sales of dogs be more regulated, though? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is where it all comes down to breeding. Ireland is terrible for our illicit breeding, puppy farms, backyard breeders. Mm -hmm. There is some level of legislation, but it's not enforced and it's simply not good enough. And this is where the primary problems arise for all behaviours and welfare epidemics in Ireland. Mm -hmm. It all boils down to breeding. Dog license is what, 20, 30 quid? Should it be more expensive? Should Should it be more expensive to own a dog? Should you have to prove your ability? Prove your skills yes. in owning a dog. Yeah, and this is, as I said, when you think about a car, which is essentially a dangerous vehicle, and because it's potentially dangerous, we have to sit through theory examinations, we have to do a series of lessons, and then we have to sit our final test and examination in order to acquire a license. And something similar should be mandatory for dogs as well. I don't think adding monetary value is necessarily what we need to do, because we also don't want to exclude certain people and certain demographics from owning dogs. We just need to educate people about dogs, because there are so many wildly inaccurate pieces of information and assumption about what dog ownership is. And if we can educate people, starting off in schools even, and educating people about dog safety and dog awareness, they have some wonderful schemes in Germany and in Sweden that support this. And we should be looking to countries that have minimal bites and seeing what they're doing, countries like Sweden, rather than looking at countries with huge amounts of bites like the UK and copying what they're doing. We should be following suit for the countries where they have this stuff under control. Mm-hmm. So you would not be like the, 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 the list of 10, is it 10? The list of 10 that we already have. Would you would you want to do away with that list? Well, the list doesn't make sense. Um, I have a restricted breed myself, um, who is an absolute big pudding. um, And I have worked with all of those dogs on that list. And I don't see excessively any any difference between those guys and other dogs. Dogs have different needs that need to be met. So, Mm -hmm. of course, if we also have a very large, powerful breed, of course, there's potential for more damage to be inflicted if a bite were to occur. But that's because of their size. It's not because of their behavior. It's nothing to do with them being more likely to aggress. It just means if they do, that it's going to cause more damage. And that's essentially where that breed list comes from. It's to do with the power of the dog, not the actual behavior or genetic behavioral traits of the animal. It's to do with their power and strength. Yeah. Like you mentioned, one one breed that's on it is the American Pitbull Terrier. You, you wouldn't mm. spend 40 seconds on YouTube to find some horrific videos of those dogs fighting, trained yeah. to fight. Yeah, absolutely, because dog fighting is unfortunately a thing. But it's in, is it, it is fight, in their genetics to fight, isn't it? No, no, it's not in their genetics to fight. It's, their, it's in their genetics to be particularly sensitive when it comes to arousal and increased stress level and stress responses in the same way that it is for a border collie or for a springer spaniel. But we're packing these behavioral traits into very powerful animals. We're bringing them up 
to fear other dogs, to find other dogs aversive and forcing them to defend their lives, essentially, is what happens in these situations, um, which is absolutely ghastly and I think any pit bull owners listening will agree with me in knowing that pit bulls are one of the sweetest lovingest dopiest um, types of dogs out there but human beings we like shock and awe that's why we have things like opinion line because we like heated conversation we like debate and we liked things that kind of shock us so we're drawn to this, but we're drawn to this stuff and we're drawn to media imagery of the big snarling pit bull with the big teeth because it elicits an emotional response. And that sometimes kind of washes over the actual facts okay. and, and the real story of what is happening with these dogs and the fact that we like to pinpoint blame. This is nothing to do with the dog. It is to do with us humans and our responsibility when it comes to bringing dogs into this world and raising them right. So, so let's, with one last question, then turn that extremely good logic of yours, because you make a fantastically logical argument. My compliments on, upon it. Thank you. <laughs> but if it's, a, if it's a thing that we are bad at having dogs, then... Mm-hmm. We shouldn't own dogs that, that some dogs are easier to manage and easier to mind and easier to have. That, that depends on, well, that depends on what you think is easier to have. So, for example, I actually, sorry to my clients with Springer Spaniels, I would find a Springer Spaniel incredibly challenging to have because that wouldn't work with my life with my needs, yeah. with my own yeah, exercise yeah. routines. That's, 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 I couldn't meet that dog's needs. So I would be way better at owning something like a pit bull who wouldn't need quite the same level of physical attention, who would have a lifestyle similar to mine in terms of when I'm, when I'm moderately active. So it's nothing to do, again, with the breed. It's to do with the human and making logical, well-researched and well-informed decisions about bringing a dog into your life, starting with where you get that dog from and not lining the pockets of backyard breeders and puppy farmers. Okay, I'll leave it there. I've enjoyed this conversation, Catherine. Thank Me you too, very PJ. much. Thank you. Thank you. Catherine Griffin of Snout. Isn't that a wonderful name? Snout and About. She's a dog behaviorist. Make of it what you will. Some people would agree with her. Some people would not. Some people... I, I know people have called me here over the years who are owners of XL bullies and owners of pit bulls and owners of German shepherds, owners of this, that and t'other, mostly t'other, and they would agree 100% with her. Others just wouldn't take the chance. Oh wait, one eight ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. I'd love to hear what you think about that. They are banning in the UK from the 31st of December. They're banning the XL Bully. We don't have any banned breeds here. We have restricted breeds. And Leo Baradkar has said he's not of a mind to ban breeds uh, at the moment. Despite the fact that, and I know cats and will disagree, we hear far more about XL Bullies turning on people than you do about your regular home mutt. Don't you? 0818 966 96 Now, the minimum wage goes up on the 1st of January to €12.70 an hour from the current rate of €11.00. 30. And there are some employers and some businesses have been saying, oh, that'll 
cost jobs and it'll mean a cut in hours and we can't afford to pay all that. There's a study has come out this morning from the ESRI, Social Research Institute, funded by the local pay commission into just how many people are actually on the minimum wage or being paid below the minimum wage or being paid just above it. The findings are interesting. I'm joined by the author of the study, Senior Research Officer, Dr. Paul Redburn. Paul, I think one of the things you've found is that most people are actually being paid above minimum wage. Good morning. Uh, morning. Yeah, so the focus of the study is, as, as you correctly said, so we have a minimum wage in Ireland. It's currently €11.30, Euros 30, but it's going up next year. And that's the full rate. But some young workers can legally be paid below this rate, what we call youth rates. So mm. if you're 19, you can be paid 90% of it. If you're 18, you can be paid 80% of the full rate. And if you're under 18, you can be paid 70%. Now, just to give you some context of this and, and um, what, what basically what we're doing in this study is we're, we're focusing on these sub-minimum youth rates to see, first of all, how many people are yeah. on them and the type of people. Um, but I suppose to give some the context, put some context on this, the reason that this is important, and I guess it's topical at the moment, is because these sub-minimum youth rates have been criticised internationally and nationally. I think so, it's fair to say, Paul, a lot of people mightn't have known about them until their 18-year-old or 17-year-old gets their first job, and instead of getting the 11.30 per hour, they're coming out with less. A lot of people mightn't have known about those rates. Yeah, I think most people know we have a minimum wage, but I think you're right. I think it's probably less well known that we have these sub-minimum youth rates. And I guess that's actually, partially that kind of reflects what we find, because when we look to see, well, how many people are on the sub-minimum youth rates, we find that very few are. So, like, for example, if you look at the, the, these group of workers that are aged 15 to 19, legally, everybody, every employee in this group could be paid one of these sub-minimum youth rates. But when you look at the data, you find that actually the majority aren't. The majority are on a higher, higher pay. So, like, three quarters of these workers are on either the full minimum wage rate or on higher pay. So it's it's not used very often. Mm. You know, it's it's quite uncommon, This, this these sub-minimum youth rates. Did you look into what sectors they are used in, for example? Yeah, there's a very high concentration in basically three sectors. So accommodation, food and retail. So these these three sectors alone account for like 80% of these sub-minimum youth rates. So you're talking about things like, um, you know, like restaurants, hotels, shops, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we also, we, we, in terms of the, the other characteristics, we find that the majority of, of these sub-minimum youth rate workers there they're actually students as well, so about 80% are students, and just over half are, are women. Based on your findings, are you making recommendations? Well, we, we so the Low Pay Commission will be making a recommendation on this later in the year. Um, basically, they're tasked with saying, should they be reformed, should they be abolished? So our, our research kind of feeds into this. But... There is um, a lot of policy debate in this area at the moment because, as I said, the European Social Charter ruled this year, kind of found Ireland to be in breach of this charter by saying that these sub-minimum rates are actually too low. They're too low to allow a decent standard of living for young people. And following this, you know, several politicians, trade unions, policymakers have actually called for their abolition, saying, look, they're just not fair. Um, so... Uh, it, against that kind of background and sort of that, that sort of policy debate, it'll be the Low Pay Commission making a recommendation, I think shortly, uh, probably later in the year, as to whether or not they should be abolished. If they're abolished, I mean, 
as I said, there's, there is a there is a case to be made that that they're they're too low to allow a decent standard of living. Mm. If they were to be abolished, there's so few people on them, it's unlikely to have a major impact anyway on on overall employment okay, or competitiveness. Fifteen thousand you found of the survey did was it? Fifteen, yeah. So we estimate about fifteen thousand people around these subminimum youth rates. Now that's out of a total of we have about two point two million people employed in this country. So. Uh, and again, it's 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 only twenty five percent of the people that could legally be paid that rate. So again, they're not they're not used very often. Okay. In terms of the actual minimum wage itself, the full rate of eleven thirty. Have you looked at how many people are on that, or slightly yes. above it, or even more above it? Yes. Yeah, so well, we know that roughly about. Currently, about 120,000 people are on the um, the full rate minimum wage. So, uh, so overall in Ireland, there's there's a hundred, about a hundred, we estimate about 150,000 employees are paid either the full rate or below the full rate. 120,000 are on the full rate, while 30,000 are paid below the, the full rate. So it's about it's about so the full rate uh, is about 120,000 employees. Is this busting a myth that comes up a lot on the programme, Paul? I, I often hear, you know, you, you, you'll hear the report from the government, you'll hear the employment figures, and we are effectively at full employment, and the pushback is, yeah, but we're a minimum wage economy. Your figures seem to seem to bust that myth a bit. Well, we, we well, when we say we're a minimum wage economy, we have a minimum wage like most EU countries, but yeah. the incidence of minimum wage employment is actually relatively low. That's what I mean. Like you're talking about, yeah, so so that's correct. You're talking about, like overall about 6%, well, about 7% of all employees are on, on minimum wage. So the vast majority, like over 90% of employees in this country, like 93% or something, are on above minimum wage. So the incidence is relatively low and it has actually decreased over time. So if you look at it over the last, let's say, let's say even since 2016, it's actually come down. So there, there are fewer employees now on minimum wage than there were, let's say, seven years ago. For young people starting out, maybe 18, 19, looking for part-time work, whether at college, that kind of thing, this <laughs> you're kind of telling them areas to avoid in a way, aren't you? Uh, well, it's oftentimes, if somebody's like, let's say, 17, 18 and 19, they're looking for part-time employment and they're looking for a sort of flexible employment and there are only certain types of jobs that that may be available to them that that will hire them based on their limited education or experience and offer that flexibility and they tend to be located in these type of sectors like accommodation food or retail so often when young people are looking for a job they're quite constrained in terms of the jobs that are available to them and in fact having a minimum wage in place one of the aims of, of minimum wage is to address that. So you have, like, especially with young people or inexperienced people or people with low education, there's sort of a power imbalance when it comes to the labour market. The employers have the power and the young people have very little bargaining power. Mm. So having a wage floor, a minimum wage, is actually designed in part at least to counteract that, to give them, uh, to kind of counteract this imbalance in bargaining power. You said that the Low Pay Commission will make a recommendation on, on what should be done with those with those lower rates. When are they likely to make that? I'm, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but it's, uh, our report certainly is going to feed into their into their uh, decision. So, I, as far as I know, I think it's going to be a recommendation in the coming months, possibly okay. toward, later in later towards the end of the year. Very interesting. Thank you, Paul, for that, Dr. Paul Redburn, Senior Research Officer with the Economic and Social Research Institute. There's a thing: only about seven eight percent of all workers are on minimum wage, which kind of busts the old bit that we are a minimum wage economy. But what you might not have known, and I certainly 
wasn't really aware until I went looking into it of these lower the minimum wage rates. It's quite a small number of people who are on those wages, less than 15,000 people. But the Low Pay Commission could decide, could decide, in early 2024, well, we need to abolish those lower rates and everybody starts from the minute you start your first job. You can't be paid less than minimum wage. So 17-year-old helping out in the local super value sweeping floors or maybe, you know, mopping up the kitchen in the back of the local restaurant or whatever at 17, 18. You look at it first. We've all done them. We've all done grunt work when we were 17. They have the same right to minimum wage as anybody who's been working for a few years and is 2021. Your thoughts, very, very welcome. 0818 96 96 96. But that's an interesting one to jump out of. The idea that we are a minimum wage economy seems to be busted by these findings. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. This is the opinion line with PJ Cook. Oh, it's 96 FM. If you're out and about in Mount Oval on Halloween night, it wasn't quite trick or treat, but it was this. That sounded like dozens of people getting stuck in each other down in, in Mount Oval. Um, there were some arrests, four arrests, uh, under the provisions of the Public Order Act, according to Gardaí, who were speaking to the Echo. Halloween night in Mount Oval. Peter Horgan. There, there have been incidents in Mount Oval there in the car park by the spar shop, by the pub. That happens... That's happened a couple of times during COVID. Did this happen in the same area, Peter Horgan? Good morning. Hello, PJ. Yes. Did this happen in the same place as before, the car park there by the spar? No. It, this happened up at the very back of Mount Oval with the large green area that overlooks the city. I see. So there's a, a row of houses and another estate uh, at the back of Mount Oval quite near the... Uh, slip road as you uh, enter it from the um, from from the link, uh, mm-hmm. so that's where it, it took place. Yeah. I was I met some residents yesterday who had been out cleaning the areas in front of their homes, and were telling me what they had had witnessed. Uh, one one house in particular, uh, down a laneway, the side of the uh, drain pipe going down the side of the house had been pulled off and just thrown onto the green area. So there was there was damage to private property on Halloween night. Uh, I, I don't know if that was one of the reasons why there was arrests made. I wasn't there on the night when the arrests were made. But, you know, it's concerning for people. Mm. There hasn't been an issue up in Mount Over for, for a while now. I mean, we all remember during COVID there was yeah. an issue in the car park, as you mentioned there. Um, there hasn't been... I was out in Mount Over recently a few weeks ago talking to residents and they were commenting on that, that it's been relatively quiet mm. and they were happy with that. Um, so it's unfortunate that, that this happened on Halloween night, which I thought you know, given the weather. Hello, Peter. Well, the likelihood of antisocial behaviour. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, given the weather you were saying. Given the weather we had on Halloween night, uh, I felt that it would reduce the likelihood of antisocial behaviour around the city. Mm. Um, but clearly, this wasn't the case up in Mount Oval. It sounded um, like a very big crowd. 
the videos I saw and from talking to residents showed that there was quite a lot of people. A lot of residents have said, you know, between 200 and 300 uh, teenagers gathering in the area. There's quite Yesterday, there's quite a lot of debris on the green area in terms of, you know, alcoholic beverages, yeah. uh, you know, thrown on, thrown on the grass. Um, you know, it's it's concerning for residents. It's it's regardless whether it's Halloween or not. Yeah, uh, it's it's concerning. They don't. Nobody deserves to have that outside no, their home no, because no. a I, gathering I, of any amount of people would be would be intimidatory for people. I recall during COVID the the, the scenes in the car park by by the spa, and we did get reports yesterday that there had been some trouble down there as well on Halloween night, but but nothing nothing as big as what you've got here. This this. Not that it's people coming in from other parts of Rochestown into Mount Oval and, and the trouble yeah, brewing in I know there. The, I know the parts. Yeah. I know the parts of the city as well. That was the case before. Um, I suppose the big thing is that four years ago there was there was a, a, a big amount of antisocial behaviour in the estate uh, about four years ago. And I remember uh, an interview you did with a gentleman who was attacked um, himself. There was calls at the time and there was promises at the time that there would be a community forum, a, a policing forum set up. That didn't happen. Now, I know COVID has you know, disrupted quite a lot of plans for people, but the community forums are back up and running. I do think it's time that we had a community forum for the Mount Oval Rochestown area. Uh, I don't think it's fair to, to lump that into the Douglas uh, community forum because the Douglas the Douglas area is growing. Mm. Rochestown and Mount Oval are growing, Roche, and we need to Mount, make Mount sure. Oval is enormous on its own. Peter, is you you don't, need, you don't need me to tell you that. There's nearly a thousand houses in there. That like that's deserving of its own forum, really. And more and more to come. More more permission from the developer to build to build more houses up even around that area where the incident took place. So I mean. Guardia are stretched enough as it is. You ask any senior guardian in Cork, any any guard in Cork, they'll tell you resources and manpower are stretched to the limit. The fact that I understand there was four squad cars up there shows how serious an issue it was. But the Gardaí don't have the resources to do that. And there, there's a big conversation needs to be had about guard resources in the city and especially on the south side of the city. People from the north side will claim will will, will seek to have more in the north side as well. Do you know? And that. Well, when that's you think their, of it, Peter, their, we got one. Did we get one? From the last class, that's what the reports. The reports were that one came from the class. Now that was clarified, I think, at a JPC that I think it came to six between transfers and all that. Six is still tiny for a city the size of Cork. We look at all the 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 the, the media headlines and the millions put into Dublin policing after certain incidents up in Dublin, and that's acceptable. You know, like the capital needs 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 guard of resources also, but the second city needs guard of resources. We have senior people at the cabinet table here, and it seems that Cork policing is being forgotten, and the morale of Gardaí on the ground is is at an all time low. Just today in the examiner, we see that the numbers have dropped down to 13,800 13, nationally. You know, that's a low, it's a low, one of the lowest figures it's ever been at. And in Cork, as you said, we either got one or we got six, but it certainly wasn't 20 or, or 30 Gardaí mm. coming out. Mm. So there needs to be a, a bigger conversation about Garda resources, Garda policing in Cork City. And it's something that I've raised with my spokesperson for Justice Aon O'Reardon mm-hmm. a number of times. And communi- community policing is the key as well. Because it's one thing having a squad car in a district, which could, but the problem with a squad car is that if you have a squad car in Douglas, it can be pulled to Toker, it can be pulled to Wilton, it can be pulled to Cargillion if something happens. And that there's a number of squad cars. In well, if you look at, just look at Douglas, of, Peter, which is, as you know yourself, and I, I live in that area too, up in Maryborough Hill, the, the, the local... Garda station there for Douglas and the surrounds. So that's a building and with facilities the FBI itself 
would be proud of. And I'm sure it's almost exactly. impossible to find a guard there. And we've raised, I've raised that a number of times at, at the forums with Gardy themselves. And the senior guard will tell you, Ron Keneal will, will, will sell you himself. They don't have the manpower. It's the same in BlackRock, the same situation all over this. They simply do not have the manpower. And, and that is what I'm really concerned about in this. We need to have the forum set up so that it supports Gardaí and has, supports agencies and supports residents and local businesses. Because what it does, it creates a network of proactive communication that when these gatherings are starting to occur, that yeah. it's not when something goes wrong, the guards arrive, that they're there in the nick of time. Now, there's one other thing, there's one other thing, and, and it's this, uh, Peter, that you, okay, if you have all the guards you want, and you'll never have them, but if you want, if you had all the guards you needed, you still have a situation where the, these are very young people, and there's very little that the system can do, except <laughs> arrest them, and maybe, maybe warn them, they get a slap on the wrist, and so they're doing it again next week. We need changes well, in that side of things too. It goes, it go, they go into youth diversion and it is an issue that crops up quite a lot with people when they are the victim of crime and the, and, and the perpetrator might be under 18. Look, that's the law in, the, in Ireland at the moment. Look, we need to have more investment in, 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 in services locally so that people don't have to feel that they have to congregate in the middle of the lashing rain to, on Halloween night. I see no uh, investment in community services that people might be attracted to. There will always be teenagers that gather it will. It, it has been the same it's since your dot. <laughs> you did it, and I did it. But and you know, but there is there is this this creeping kind of viewpoint that, and I don't want to generalize all teenagers, not at all. But those of a certain age who gather, and when drink is taken or other kind of intoxications are taken, there's an there's an element of nastiness that I don't believe was there previously. Maybe it was. Maybe I'm being naive. But from talking to people who have been victims of crime, they, they say there's an element of nastiness, there's an element of fear that, that that has to be addressed. And it's a national conversation that needs to be had, and a conversation in Cork City. But a big thing is that these ch- these children, and they are children uh, under the age of 18, they, they obviously feel they have nowhere to go. And we need to address that. And what's being done to address that? Now, there's so much good work being done by community services, by local GA clubs, rugby clubs, soccer clubs. Like, what needs to be done? So you need to pull in everyone. That's what a community forum does. It should seek to pull in all elements of of the community to say, right, we have an issue. How do we address it? And it's not a top-down report from Dublin. It's it's brought in by the locals. This is what we feel would work for our area. Shall we see what listeners think this morning? Peter, and what might be done to stop that level of aggression among young people? Peter Horgan, uh, Labour rep for Cork South Central, indeed a Labour Party candidate in the upcoming local elections. And when it happens now from time to time over the next few months, I will be telling you who is a candidate and who isn't. Just just, just so you know. But Peter is an activist in the area for, for quite a long time. Eyewitnesses, please. Anyone see what happened up in Mount Oval the other night? And and do you think he's right? Because I think he's got a point. There's more aggression in that age group now. We all hung around under lampposts, but we weren't as aggressive, maybe, as some of them are now. Is he right? The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call 96FM. Been saying for ages that 
our European neighbours could teach us a thing or two about how to run proper public bins. Um, I'll be talking to Padraig in a minute about a fantastic thing he's seen. Not too sure he saw it, but it's a super idea. We could, we should be, be doing it here. Uh, also, coming up, the first of the big Christmas ads is out. Now, I'm only going to give you a snatch of it, but uh, I heard it yesterday. Um, this is the first of the really big Christmas ads for this year. I know it's only the 2nd of November, but they're going to start playing them, and you're going to have to become very familiar with them. This is this is the Marks and Spencers Christmas ad for 2023. This Christmas, do only what you love. It's featuring a great song. The big cast in it, Hannah Waddington is in it, Sophie Ellis-Bexter is in it, uh, your man Tan France, uh, he's a, it's a fabulous ad, it's really well made. Now, fans of Elf on the Shelf are not going to like it, but, but that's the, 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 the Marks and Spencer's ad for 2023, if you've seen it. Uh, come here. Back to minimum wage and speaking to the SRI, to Paul from the SRI, about the minimum wage and the low level minimum wage. Sarah, good morning to you. Now, you're not going to name where she where she works, um, but, but your daughter's working, yeah? Yeah, she's just working in a supermarket at the moment now. Okay, and how long has she been there? Um, she's there now about six or seven weeks. Okay. What age is she? She's 17. She'll be 18 in two months. Okay. And what is she being paid? She's been paid eight euro an hour. Right. Um, with an hour's break with no pay. And she gets taxed on top of that. And she's doing 40 hours a week. How much tax is she paying off that? I'm not 100% sure. Well, she'd have to pay USC anyway, yeah. She'd be paying yeah. USC. She wouldn't be paying much income tax off that, I would suggest. Yeah. Mm. 791. I was just doing my sums there and I saw your call coming up. That is because she's 17. That's yeah. 70% of the minimum wage. So that's yeah. what she's she's on the youth rate. How does she feel about it? I tell you, she's not a bit happy with it though at the moment, PJ, because as you know, all young ones, she's trying to get a car and get tax insurance so she can be sure she can bring herself to and back from work herself, her own independence. Mm. And then. She, so she don't really have much and she'll be a long time saving for the car with that kind of pay that she's getting anyway, you know? Yeah, well, when she turns 18, she's entitled to go up to 80% of it and then... Yeah, but they told her when she turns 18, she still won't be entitled to the minimum wage. No, she's not actually entitled to that until she's, until she's uh, over 18. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's the youth rule. Well, no, they can give it to her if they want to give it to her. How, how do you feel about her not getting that? I'm being honest with you, PJ. I just think it's slavery for the younger for the younger generation out there today to be working for that. 40 euros a week, coming out with 200 and odd euro. It's not mm. much for them, like, especially when they're paying up money at home as well, PJ, you know? Yeah. 40 by 8 is what? That's 320. And you don't know how much tax she's paying out of it, but, but, but what's, she com- what's she coming out with? She comes out with 200 and something, I'm not sure of the actual okay. figure. Okay, yeah, that, that's that's a lot to be losing. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to be losing on a small wage. Is she not? Is she on emergency tax or something? No, uh, no, no. She, she. That's just that's what they're taxed. Hey, interesting, interesting. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. She 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 does she likes the job. She do. She's like she's looking obviously for something better, but she's waiting to come for her age. But at the time, it's just something for her to do. You know. I know. Is she done with school? Yeah. She's finished. She's leaving search and all finished. Okay. okay. She finished her leaving search last year, so she's finished it all. Okay. How did that? How did that go for her? Uh, all good, thank God. Great. Yeah. Yeah. All good. Yeah, that's what... I heard that, you just on about it, so I just said I'd give you a call. No, and I'm and glad you did. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you it. did, because here's the thing, and I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't have known that there was an actual youth rate until uh, we're looking at it. So the minimum wage is, what, 12... Well, it'll be... From the 1st of January, it'll be 1270. Um, now, yeah. she has to get... She ha- she'll have to get a percentage of that when it goes up. So she'll probably go over the... She'll probably go well over the year, well... Considerably over the up over the eight euro when the first of January comes. Yeah, she'll be eighteen by then anyway. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel as her as her mammy? Do you know what? Now I don't like sending her out to do it because of the minimum pay that she's on. But like, I do understand that she needs her own independence as well. Yeah. yeah. So, like, there's not kind of much I can do about it because. The majority of the supermarkets, that's all they're giving the younger generation today. Mm-hmm. Mm. So How, what I, about her friends? Are any of her friends working? Well, there is one of her friends working, and I find it very strange, PJ. She's in the same supermarket in a different location, okay. and she's on 966. Yeah, that'd be the next stage up. Do you know? So, like, they're mm. the same age. They're the same time, length of time in the job, but one supermarket gives one rate and the other supermarket gives another rate. Mm. Yeah, because under the, and the same age. Yeah, again, those details that I, I wouldn't have known until I went reading. Mm-hmm. If you're under 18, you, get se- you can get 70%. If you're a- over 18, it's 80% of the full rate. And then 19, it's 90% of the full rate. So realistically, you, be, you could be 20 before you get the full rate of 11.30 per hour, or as it will be in January 12, 12.70. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a strange thing. So one branch of where she's working has her on 7.91. That, I, um, euro, that's the youth rate. And then another one has a diff- her friend on, on another youth rate, even though they're the same age. Yeah. And do you think it's... you think it's a slavery? I do. Being honest, for all the young crowds growing up today, I think a slavery does nothing cheap, as you know yourself. Yeah. So, like, like she don't, like she don't drink, she don't smoke, which is a good thing. But like, she does, she still do socialize, like, so she still needs money, you know. Sure. Outside trying to save for everything else, mm. and like with that kind of money, PJ, they'll never get nowhere far. To be honest, like, mm. how much are they actually supposed to save in realistic? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? Do you remember your own first job? I sure do. Where did you work? Um, I started off actually in uh, McDonald's and then I went to a deli right. and I actually dem- done delivering, which was gave me a lot of better pay than what I was doing for the hours in the shops. Yeah, yeah. And I remember my first job. I worked at a, I worked in Roche's stores, and I can tell you, if we saw if we and and, and like eight quid an hour, we'd have bitten your hand off for it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was cheaper things back then. Everything was cheaper there. back there. No, but yeah, you know, there's a point. There's lots. Of, there'd be lots of of kids her age would be working, um, part yeah. or full time, and and you think it's just a little bit of exploitation. 
Yeah, especially when they're when they're doing full time PJ. If they were doing part time, it's kind of a good understanding. They're still in school. But I mean, she's doing forty hours a week outside Saturdays and Sundays if she does them as well. Does she get overtime at the weekend? Or? If time and a half, you get for the Sunday. The Sunday, yeah. Yeah, was and I think it's also it? shocking that they don't get paid for their hour lunch break either. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's shocking. Like they're still there, like. Oh, okay, well, she can leave the premises if she wants to, can't she? Oh, yeah, but, like, you think they'd carry it through for eight euro, PJ? True. Do you know? True. Think they'd carry it through, like, because if that's five days a week, that's five eights, then taking off the wages as well, just true. for the hour break. True, true, yeah. Did, did, yeah. I remember clocking in, clocking out at lunch in, in some of my jobs, and you weren't being paid for the lunch hour back then either. But that's supposed to look times of... Yeah. All right, Sarah, thank you for the call. I hope she... Uh, does well for herself. How did she do in the leaving? Which she, she plans for what she wants to do. Is she going to college or what she wants to do? Um, yeah, she'll be going to college there now in um, two months' time to be um, a care assistant. Excellent, excellent. That's oh. that, that's very good, honourable, solid. Uh, career for her. I wish her well with it. Sarah, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. That is the seventy percent rate. Um, of the eleven. What? 11.30 70% of that is just about is 7.91 so that's the youth rate that's what she's being paid um, and as we said with the ESI with Paul from the ESI before, or ESRI before 10 you don't have to pay it to them but a lot of places do pay it to them and then her daughter's friend is working in another branch of the same supermarket they're the same age and the friend is on the next rate up. Um, but Sarah thinks that paying a young person of 17, just done her leaving cert, it seems to be, it's her first full-time job, just done her leaving cert, paying her €8 Euro an hour for a 40-hour week and not paying her for her hour's lunch break. She thinks that's exploitation. She used the word slavery. What would she think? She feels, as, as, as her mummy anyway, she feels that her daughter is being exploited. What would you think? 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. Bins and the ideas of our European neighbours and what they do with their street bins. Product, I'm grateful to you for holding. I know you've been there for a while. It's a busy old morning. Uh, sorry for the delay. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Where do you see these bins with the, with the little skips <coughs> under them? Where do you see them? Yeah, so, so last week for work, I was at a conference in Ljubljana in Slovenia, and I was really impressed with just how they manage their entire city. But their waste in particular, I think, is quite noticeable. So as you're traveling through the city center, much of which is pedestrianized, uh, they have kind of five sets of bins together and they open up and there's like kind of like a mini skip underneath the huge storage. So you can put in your paper, your glass, your plastic, um, and then there's organic or there's residual waste. So it's a kind of a, a great system where you can, you can, one, you can separate out your waste quite easily. Um, two, they're never really overflowing because like there's very large uh, containers underneath collecting the waste. Mm. And then also just makes the streets much cleaner because there's lots of you know, individual bins everywhere. Um, so it's a really good kind of waste management system. We put a picture up on X or Twitter or whatever we're calling it this week. Twix I've been calling it since, since all this started. <laughs> you put a picture up. I think there's one, one, two, three, four. There's six bins and you're saying, 
under each one of those, there's a skip. Now, how did this, and it's obviously buried and covered and paved in, how did the skip get emptied? That's the bits intriguing me. Yeah, so I saw I saw them collect them. So they have there kind of, it comes along and it, it kind of, uh, it folds back, like the bin folds back and then they, they kind of have a, uh, kind of claw goes down and, and picks it up and, and lifts out the kind of the, the mini skip comes out then so they they have a kind of yeah like a, a little truck that drives around and, and opens hey. it up it kind of flips it open oh um, nice so that's the, the, like, there's like a hinge on that they're on a little exactly oh, yeah brilliant little hinge yeah um so it's, it's a great system um and it, yeah as i said it, it makes it much easier to recycle your waste and separate it like i think sometimes in cork it's sometimes it's hard to find a bin if you find one it's sometimes full and then they're often they're not separated, so you just have all your waste thrown in together. So it's it, it solves all of those problems um, by by doing it in this way. In, in your observations of the people using those bins, were they separating them? Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I saw people um, would come and would, would separate all 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 of their waste out. Um, they have lots of them. Like they 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 have a plan where they have one every 150 metres. So these are throughout the entire city centre. Um, so there'd be half a dozen bins every 150 metres, yeah? Wow. Yeah, every 150 metres they have this collection. Because for people who live there as well, they can put it in their waste. Because for the, for the black waste, they got a card and you can scan it and it can take right. your, your household waste as well, right. um, just for the, for the local residents. So they have these throughout the city centre. So then it, it prevents, you know, cases where you, everybody has all their own individual bins mm-hmm. for those who live in the city centre. They can use... The larger waste collection um, system. And how is so it, uh, it paid for? Are people paying for this in their council taxes? So they for the for the waste collection, you have a card that you scan for your kind of larger waste, and you you pay a paper use. But the the paper, uh, plastic, and glass is free to use, and anybody can use it. Um, but they they run a it's a waste management company that's owned by the city, um, who manages all of the waste, and they have kind of this large strategy. It's it's quite remarkable, really, where they they're really trying to manage their waste better, and, and they've reduced their waste to landfill by ninety five percent. Because they have a whole strategy around how they manage their waste. Um, and it's done by a publicly owned uh, company who manages the waste for the entire city. So they they can kind of they really focus on reducing waste uh, yeah. and and separating out their waste, ensuring it doesn't go to landfill. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned that the the truck comes along and the thing. At what time of the day or night when, did you observe this collection happening? I saw it. I was I was at the hotel one morning and it was it was kind of morning time. It was happening, so it was maybe ten a.m. Okay. Um, but the the way the city, the city works generally is because so much of it is pedestrianised. Uh, there's vehicle access in the morning um, from about seven a.m. to ten a.m. for deliveries and for for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the entire old city centre is just pedestrianised. So they've, they've ten hectares of pedestrianised area. So a massive area of the old city centre um, is just pedestrianised for and cyclists. Does, does um, you know what's happening? At- Padre, you don't need me to tell you with regard to increasing pedestrianisation of our city here and, you know, mm. people encouraged to bring in a bike or, or get a bus or something. And there's a bit of pushback to every stage of it. People seem to... Yeah, well, like, I mean, where, where you took the pictures, lovely. What that good? That a park yeah. or something? Yeah, actually, I think it used to be a car park, they said, and they previously, um, maybe not this one, but another one, they used to be a car park and they turned into a public park. So when they removed the cars in the centre, they turned them into kind of public parks. Um, it was a square, I think. But there's huge public support for it, for pedestrianisation. They've, they've done studies in uh, in Ibliana, they did follow-up kind of surveys of residents, um, and the approval rating for the for the pedestrianisation is between 88 and 95%. Right. So huge public support. And what's the uh, public so transport think, system like then to go along with that? 
Yes, it's, they had, they've, they've kind of thought through all of these things. And I think this is one of the, the good things. They have, they have a, a directly elected mayor who kind of who oversees the city and, and takes a hands-on approach and manages it. So, so they've thought through it and, and they have park and ride facilities, um, improved public transport. And then in for the, the very city centre for the, the pedestrianised area, they have these electric vehicles uh, that are kind of hop on, hop off. But you can also, you can just stay where you want to go and they'll drop you there. And they're kind of driving around, kind of like golf buggies, but covered over, kind of slowly <laughs> moving through. Um, and they have these around and, and they're not on a set route. So if you see one and it's free, you can flag it and say, oh, I want to go to the post office. So for do, older do people, they charge people, you for that? No, I think they're free to use um, <laughs> that kind of for people with maybe mobility or, or older people yeah. who want to move around in the pedestrianised zone. But there's huge public support and they've also looked at the air quality. Um, there's been a 70% reduction in black carbon emissions in, in some of the streets. So much better air, uh, much greener streets. And I was talking to one of the tour guides and he was saying that business is booming. He was saying that before people wouldn't come into the city centre, but now because it's such a nice place to be, it's clean, it's green, it's a really nice place. He said that businesses are, are thriving as a result because he said every weekend himself and his friends, they're like, well, we'll head into the city centre and we'll hang out because it's just such a nice place to be. It's calm, it's not noisy, you're not dodging in between cars and traffic and um and it's also a great place for tourists to go. Like yeah. a, a lovely time, just strolling the streets and mm. um, observing how they how they run their city in a more efficient way. And I think mm. I think we need to look at our European neighbours about how they do these kind of things and apply yeah. some of those lessons. You know, I've been saying it for youngs, for example, about how they do the bins in in Spain. It's it's so civilized. Like when I checked into our accommodation last July on my holidays, one of the first things I got was there was a piece of paper left in the apartment of where the nearest three bin ranks were. And there was three huge banks of bins that were there for you, you know, mm-hmm. and each one within within a hundred yards. And there was very little litter around because there was so much good bins. And here's a, that's a, this is a whole new idea, the little skip. But that's I genius. But I also, we don't have to go to Ljubljana to look at it. Actually, somebody had just sent me a while ago an um, uh, image from... Uh, Kulagown outside from Oi and they have something similar there and their recycling centre they've kind of done an underground thing so we we don't have to go all the way to, to live Liana it's something, Good. they've already started to do something in Cork so we, I think the great to see those in the city centre and, and around Cork City as well Excellent Alright Padraig thank you very much that's Padraig Rice just back from Ljubljana in Slovenia I've never been I've never been but the picture that he sends a switch uh, by the way uh, it's, he put it up on Twix uh, it, it's gorgeous like I mean this used to be a car park they're going to do it what they want to do downtown is all great. We've all said that'll be fantastic when it's done. But sure, it's carnage to get there. So you've got these bins in the pitch rank. Now, one, two, three, four, five, six of them. Six of them. And they're about every 150 yards. And under the bin is a little skip. And the truck comes along, lifts up the bin, lifts up the skip, empties it. And the bin isn't full. That's how our civilized European neighbors do it. So, oh, eight one eight ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. Some of the responses he got to it on Twix were, "Well, why not just pay people property to empty the bins we have on a regular basis?" Yeah, but you don't have to empty them that often if there's this wonderful facility with them. Oh, eight one eight ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. Any other bright ideas that people have seen? Um, clearly, the people of Slovenia are way ahead of us on several levels with regard to what they're doing with their waste anyway. Way ahead of us, on a number of levels. Nice to see. I better tell you this because I'll forget. Do you remember Tuesday I was talking to Sarah and at that stage she was on her second or third day out in CUH with her boy, 
Matthew, he's 15 going on 16, and the poor lad, he's, he's quite troubled, he's autistic, and he doesn't speak, and he's got a lot of other stuff going on. She was just looking for some help for him. And In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And they were doing their best for him out in CUH, but they weren't equipped to do, to deal with his specific needs at the time. And there was nobody around to deal with his mental health needs at the time. And she spoke to me for for quite some time about it. Good news, she's been keeping people updated on her social media and they are home and they have gotten a home support package in place. Uh, There's lots to do yet for Matthew's future, but this is one small step. Uh, Someday I'll get around to thanking each and every one. Well, that's not entirely necessary at all, Sarah. We were happy to help you, but glad to see that uh, they're home and there's been something put in place, at least for Matthew at this point. Now, did we have, we did, we had a voice note about what happened up in Mount Oval on Halloween night. This, I think, comes to us from, I hope I have the name right, this is from Louise. Hi, PJ. I was just listening to the guy on the radio there and um, about what happened out in Mount Oval the other night on Halloween. Joe, what I actually think in the generation, the younger generation, over the last couple of years or so, I think it actually just boils down to basic respect and manners And they've no fear of their parents, of their teachers, of the guards or anyone in authority. And they're actually gone. They think that they're alone to themselves. But basic manners and respect in the younger generation, not all of them now, because you can't tire them all with the one brush. But it seems to be a thing of the past. Like long ago, if your mum roared, you came in, or if a guard came up to you and asked you what were you doing hanging around the streets or whatever, you would die before you give them back cheek. So I just think it's kind of a generational thing. It's an interesting observation and strong words indeed from Louise. Thank you. Also, there's broken bottle bottles, broken glass and vomit strewn around the car park in Mount Oval since Halloween. It's a wonder the business windows aren't damaged. This is where all the glass is. It's still here if anybody wants to come and clean it up. 
right in front of all the businesses. So there was trouble in the car park. We were being told there was, but the big problem was up the green area. Thank you for that. We will be going to Jersey after 11. Um, our friends in Channel 103 will join us. Storm Kiron seems to have wreaked havoc in the Channel Islands. So we will link with Jersey after 11 o'clock and let you hear what's been going on there. This came up on the programme a little while back. Flexibility at work. A survey has been carried out now by Employ Flex. And it said that there are a huge number of people in, who would give up a job for more flexibility. They would move from job A to job B. Even if the pay was a bit less, they would move from job A to job B if there was more flexibility. Helen Walsh from Employ Flex and indeed Employ Mum also. Helen, we discussed this a few weeks ago and now the, the numbers are there to prove it. People want flexibility and it's as important, if not more important, than wage. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. They do want That's to right, be PJ. flexible. That's right. And we can see um, uh, change year on year from COVID where um, the numbers are increasing more and more. Gone are the days when salary alone was the biggest uh, draw for a role. Now, really, flexibility is key. Um, and we see that and we're currently in a, a skills shortage in Ireland. 77% of Irish companies have a skills shortage. So we, we tell our clients that by being flexible, be, being family friendly, you can really widen your net and, and get access to an increased talent pool of, of um, workers. Flexibility is a small word in itself. It means a lot of different things. What elements of it are important to people? Um, so really, it could be as simple, PJ, as offering a parent uh, a 9.30 or 10 a.m. start to allow a school drop-off. It could be some remote work. Uh, one of the most popular ones for us would be hybrid, where somebody could work a day or two at home yeah. and then come into the office. That's the most popular, really, we find for Irish, for Irish um, staff. Um, part-time work, some form of job sharing, compressed hours where you might do three 10-hour shifts and then have your Thursday and Friday off. So there's there's a, a wide spectrum of, of flexible work there, PJ. Mm. And the message is clearly there to employers. You need to embrace flexibility or people will go somewhere else. 100%. And, and we see that. I mean, the clients that are really offering this flexibility are really reaping the rewards. We call... Um, the staff kind of sticky talent, you know, and, and the majority of the employees we deal with are mothers, PJ. And, you know, we know ourselves, they're not going to go off to Australia on a gap year anytime soon. They're, if they are offered a bit of flexibility in return, you'll get a very loyal and dedicated staff member. So it's a win-win. And the companies that are embracing some form of flexibility, as I said, that, that late start, maybe a half day on a Friday, little things like that will really... Um, Will really you'll you'll hold on to your staff. You'll have great staff retention and yeah. employee engagement and morale. Then what came up also in your survey is this: it's a new term on me. I only heard it a few months ago. The motherhood penalty. It's it's real. It is real, and, and to be honest, we coined that phrase ourselves, and that kind of refers to the to tendency for working mums to be penalised. Unfortunately, when it comes to things like promotions, any kind of career progression opportunities. Um, in the workforce and we've learned one of our recent surveys showed that um, as soon as somebody might ask for some form of flexibility in the work or just kind of broach it with their management unfortunately then 
immediately they're removed off any kind of track for promotion or career progression. Mm. And it's a real concern. How much of this came about, Helen, would you think, as a result of what was forced upon us in 48 hours by COVID? That's right. So, well, but the great thing is we've been doing this um, survey and asking some of the same questions year on year since 2019, PJ, and huge, huge jumps and huge improvements. I mean, even pre-COVID, it was under 40% and people hadn't a clue about any flexible work policies or, or wouldn't dare ask for any form of flexible work. And now, you know, we're, it's very, it's very positive change, at least, as, you know, 74% of the people we surveyed um, are happy to ask for flexible work and that and some of them have been offered it. So there's there's improvements year on year and mm. because of skill shortages in Ireland at the moment, companies realise that they have to be yeah. some form of... And, and they're becoming more willing to give because there, there was a time when someone wanting to work from home would have been frowned upon. Oh no, oh no, I can't do that now you brought your Netflix. Um, I, 100%. Has there been more of a shift are they inclined to give? There has. There has. But there are still some companies that are a bit more traditional and want the bums on seats from 9 to 5 PJ. But there has. There's definitely been a shift. There's definitely been. And I think once productivity is there and once you're proving that you're working as hard, whether you're in front of them in the office or working remotely, I think that's, I think as, mm. as long as your product, productivity and your output at the end of the week is, is as strong, then um, there are. But look, some companies are still asking for some form of hybrid work, and I think that's a nice mix where you can yeah. have a day or two at home, and then I think that engagement face to face is also key, um, key as well. We, we we read in the last few months that certain companies, some of them very big companies, ironically Zoom being one of them, Zoom who invented <laughs> video meetings, yeah. were demanding people come back into the office. Are employers demanding people come back? They, they are, unfortunately, and some of the and some of the bigger companies, unfortunately, and we have a full new suite of job seekers coming to us and employ mum and employ flex because they might have relocated back to rural somewhere, you know, um, dur- during a pandemic, and all of a sudden they're being asked to come back to Dublin or to the cities again. So they are. Um, it's very disappointing to see, considering the the progress we've made um, during the during the pandemic where we were able to prove that we could still get our work done irrespective of location. Um, but again, those that are reaping rewards and are holding on to their staff are those that are offering some form of flexibility. Yeah. Um, and I think they, what they need to know is that, I think people fear that flexibility means remote, but it doesn't. It's just that small little, um, you know, as I said, a slightly later start, a little bit of working from home, and you will really hold on to your staff. Yeah. Well, as someone who found myself working over 50% of my day at home during COVID, and now with COVID thankfully behind us, I still work the bones of half my day at home. I love it. I can, I can, and I, can't, I couldn't see myself changing. So it's, it, it's, 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 it's progress. And uh, long may it continue. Helen Walsh of Employ Mum, Employ Flex, thank you very much. Would you give up a job? Would you go to another job? Would you move jobs? Because there are jobs out there. Would you move jobs for flexibility? So job A pays you X thousand. Job B pays you Y thousand. It's less. But job B allows you to do half it from home or will let you come in after you've dropped the kids to school. We'll let you maybe go away a little bit early to get the kids from school. And once you have the work done, they don't really care when you do it. Once it's done and delivered on time. 
Would you move your job for flexibility? 0818 96 96 96. Helen, thank you. Um, storm. Oh, John says, where's the storm yourself and the weatherman were talking about? It's like a grand spring day outside, says John. Well, John, it's long gone. And Alan O'Reilly was dead right. He was here with me on Tuesday and he said Kieran was headed our way but might well change his mind. He did change his mind and he's after giving Jer- Jersey and the south of England and parts of France an awful battering. Trust me, we didn't want the battering. He's after giving some of those parts. So thank you, John. 0818969696. Go back to Sarah's. Is it Sarah was her name? The lady spoke to me after... Yes, Sarah. Sarah spoke to me after 10 about her daughter. And her daughter is working in a supermarket, working full-time. She's only 17. She'll be 18 in a little while. And she's getting €8 an hour, which is the youth rate of minimum wage. Uh, And Sarah was saying, well, she felt that's exploitation. She, in fact, used the word slavery. Um, Mags says my first job was in the local petrol station it was the late 90s my starting wage was £152 an hour it was hardly worth it but saying that it taught me life lessons I'd never have learnt sitting at home my 16 year old daughter's working now and earns the same as that lady's daughter it's not a huge amount of money I know that but it has taught her to save and to budget Over the summer just gone, she worked plenty of hours and she's managed to save up a nice little chunk of money for herself in fairness. For young people today, says Mags, earning almost €8 an hour, their first part-time job surely isn't bad going. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Cookie. Fox 96FM. Right, lot to get through, and I will get through them. We've had an email in from a resident about Owl wanting to raise some concerns. We're just happy to do that. Some of you responding to Podrig and his ideas for bins around Europe, other people's ideas for bins around Europe, and some stuff about dogs from earlier on. But I want to go to Cork Acro. Uh, Neil Sheehan, good morning. You've been done out of a premises by the floods, and you're still stuck for somewhere to go. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, PJ, it's our third time in eight years being being flooded out really... from 2015, 2019, and again, then two weeks ago. So, um, I saw the yeah, video. Where is the premises? It's in Carrick Tool, basically opposite where Aldi is in Carrick Tool. Right. Um, th- there is a, a modern tyres beside us, and we're, yeah. we're there. It's a and area. Uh, we had... It, it's... It, where we are is yes, but like we have had after our first flood, we got in flood barriers, we got in sandbags, we had everything in place, and the water came through the walls and up through the floor. And within about forty to fifty minutes, we went from no water inside the building to having a foot of water inside the building. Mm. So it just it was it was, it was incredible, and uh, we're in a position at the moment where our gymnasts are out of training, you know, it's midterm at the moment, which is not too bad, but we um, need somewhere for our gymnasts to train. We mm. were very, very lucky and we're very, very thankful to Carrigaline Gymnastics Club, Douglas Gymnastics Club and Banner College Gymnastics Club who gave us time in their own gyms to train before last weekend when the national team championships were on. 
and we had members competing up there. But our own our own gymnasts, our own uh, children, PJ, are absolutely devastated with sure. the the loss of their their gym at this stage. You, you and six hundred members, six hundred practicing gymnasts. They're they're thereabouts, yeah, wow. they're thereabouts. Um, and we 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 cater PJ for everything from toddlers to international uh, competitors and medal winners. We also have um, a Able program, which is for children with special needs, be, uh, both intellectual and and physical. And these all, all these kids are in using the facility. We're a not for profit club. Um. We would have local schools who come down and they, 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 you know, join in and, and learn gymnastics, which is so beneficial for everything. But um, it's just the upset of not knowing where we are next, even to repair the building where we are uh, at presently. Have you, have you it's insurance? Going to be that a long time. You no insurance, I suppose. We we did have the first one, PJ, but then uh, we couldn't get in flood insurance after that. So okay. that's it. And, uh, what's, what's the estimate? You know, the, I saw the video. It's, it's the video yeah, is very we, sad to look at. We're we're looking at the moment where we're uh, thirty five thousand euro of equipment gone out in skips. That's between gymnastics mats and furniture for the the office stuff and all that. And we're hoping to be able to save more. Um, some of the stuff we're still not sure of. The gymnastics sprung floors. There's specialist pieces of equipment. Uh, they did get wet. We're hoping that they will dry out naturally and not warp. If they do, each of those floors are 25,000 each. So we're fingers crossed mm. that we won't be out that These are well, your, tum- your tumbling floors and stuff like that, is that Your it? tumbling floor and the square floor that you've you've seen people at the Olympics and that yeah. competing on. We have the same standard equipment because our seniors, they compete abroad. We had people out in Bulgaria two weeks ago. Wow. competing, doing really, really well out there in the European Championships. So they have to train on what they would be asked to compete on, otherwise they're at a disadvantage. So that's what part for our, our uh, is everything goes back into the club and we purchase the equipment at the highest standard so the, the kids, the, the our gymnasts, get to actually train on yes. what they would be asked to compete have, on. Have you, have you got no really, support? Have you stayed support for this? We like we're part of uh, Gymnastics Ireland, yeah. who are very, very helpful to to us. We we were up in Dublin last weekend, and you know they they will. We we even were speaking with our CEO here in Gallagher, who was was saying that anything that they can do, they will do for us. You know, uh, if it means even trying to uh, help us with information on different uh, grant schemes and that, we're we're lucky. We have applied for the Red Cross scheme. They've granted us uh, ten thousand at the moment, which is going to help us an awful lot. Yeah. But we still, but more than that, PJ. Yeah, what we need thing at on the that, yeah, the Red Cross team. Um, did they? That I was reading that they've paid out. That when you're approved for that first ten grand, it, it lands in forty eight hours. Has that been your experience? It's been very fast. It has been very fast. Um, we, we we got an email there uh, there so ago that we haven't granted a ten, which is hugely um, appreciated. Um, but besides the money, it's, it's actually a venue now in the near yeah. future we're, we're we're looking for because um, our equipment to lay it out takes a long time. It can't be something that we take them putting down again between yeah. different other sports. You need someone a, uh, to loan you a venue for, for a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. That would be, be absolutely incredible. Um, uh, we Even there last week um, in Dublin, we had children who, before they even went on the floor, 
were very cheerful with the thought of and asking their coach's question, is this the last time I get to do gymnastics? Wow. And it, it was it, it was heartbreaking, to be honest. We've had one child who competed last weekend and in Caratool, not only did she lose her gym, but her house was flooded. Oh, no. And, you know, so we're very conscious of the other uh, hardship that's been felt in around the area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we, we definitely need to pay tribute as well to our members, our own family as well, um, PJ, and all the parents who came and helped us clean up and pick up the the equipment out of the water and try and save it. We, we tried to get it up as quickly as possible. We got a lot of it up. But unfortunately, as you can see from the video, a lot of it, uh, we didn't get up in time. Yeah. But the parents, they were, they were fantastic. Uh, even there last Monday, Bank Holiday Monday, we had people in cleaning and, and you know, trying to clean equipment and, and, and right. help dry it out and all yeah, that pe- sort of people stuff. Have been, people have been fantastic all across, all yeah, across the country. Yeah, incredible. That. So you, you, incredible. Need a pre- you need a premises, a, a large hall, GA hall or whatever. You know, large hall. Something like that. Like we, we need, we need um, roughly around, if we, there's something around 5,000 square feet, Perfect. If it has a high roof, because with the style of gymnastics we do, people get thrown in the air. They yeah, go yeah. high, so we'd need about a five. Maybe a warehouse ceiling. somewhere then. That'd be absolutely fantastic. Okay. And well, uh, we have been looking around, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to find anything at all of yet. Well, well let's see. Let's see if people are listening. They may have a premise to tell me about Jim Abel. It's a new one on me. You've been doing it for a while now. What is Jim Abel? Jim Abel. It's. Uh, it was actually um, uh, a program that was developed by my wife Claire and myself um, going back a couple of years ago. We want to do a. We, we had um, some of our members come in. They would have had uh, brothers and sisters who would have had special needs, and at the time there wasn't the capability to, to let children with special needs do gymnastics, and we felt bad about that. So Claire and I put our heads together and we came up with a program, and we sent for some funding to a national governing body, Gymnastics Ireland, to see if they could give us some money to produce posters and awards and all this. And they looked at it and said, actually, we love this. We want to run it out nationally. And you mind if we get involved with it and Brilliant. run it out nationally, which they did. So we had um, training from coaches from the UK who came over who deal with uh, Special Olympics and, and uh, different uh, organisations that deal with children with special needs. So we produced the, the programme and it runs in uh, the gym, but it did run in the gym when we were able to do it, um, for both physical disabilities and with children with uh, intellectual disabilities. That's fantastic. Um, That's absolutely we, brilliant. We did a study a couple of years ago, PJ, and uh, basically we were asking the children's own occupational therapists or physiotherapists, did they notice any change or any improvement in the children's abilities um, after, say, six months or 12 months of doing the programme? And the results we got back were outstanding. The, yeah, everybody improved and improved and improved. But the one thing that really stood out, PJ, is these children uh, felt part of a club. There you go. And they thrive. They thrive when they feel part of something. Neil, if we can do anything for you, if anybody can offer, that's uh, Neil Sheehan. If anybody can offer Cork Acro Gymnastics Club from Carry Tool a premises for the foreseeable, just loan it to them until they get their own place going again. A premises, a decent sized premises, warehouse, hall, maybe 5,000 square feet. They would be so thrilled. And you can contact them through us at 081896. 9696. Anybody able to help? You, do, you know what Cork is like when it comes together 
Anybody? The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, lots of love in the room for Cork Acro um, and lots of appreciation for what they do. And if we can find them a place for the next while that would be much appreciated and as Neil said to me they are quite happy to pay but and we've lots more it's very very busy out there this morning so I I want to go live to Jersey in the Channel Islands a popular place I have a good friend who lived there for many years at one point there was a regular scheduled flight between Cork Airport and Jersey people used to go there on holidays uh, because they have a nice little climate and my my mother and father actually particularly loved Jersey in the couple of times that they were there I'm looking at photographs um, from the BBC of oh just chaotic damage done during the night by Storm Kieron roofs have been torn off and three fell on top of a hospital on the neighbouring island of Guernsey and there's huge tidal swells there's flooding there's trees down the houses have been badly damaged the hospital in Guernsey has been badly damaged and uh, listeners asked us to check in with the lovely people on the lovely island of Jersey because there's great connections as I say between Cork and there I'm glad to say this man must be one I, I, Jason King of Channel 103 I did your job for long enough for a similar job at this hour, so I know how busy you are this morning so thank you so much for taking time out to join me on the opinion line how are things in Jersey good morning uh, well, hello to you, PJ. How are you? Delighted to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. Storm Kieran has done wreck, as we'd say here. It's 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 done a, done a fair bit of damage overnight. To be honest with you, um, four o'clock this morning, I was woken up by it. A uh, very unsettled dog as well. I live in a in a cottage that's probably a couple of hundred years old, made of local granite, very thick walls. Um, but even that was moving. The wind was that strong. And then as the daylight arrived we we saw the devastation and there's a lot of it as you you said you know there are uh, roofs off houses there's flooding happening um i managed to drive into the station we're, we're running on two people today just sharing lots and lots of information um but to get here i effectively followed uh, the tree surgeons from clearing one tree off the road to the next tree to the next tree so it was a challenge to get here pretty much everybody else on the island has been asked to stay at home and we're just providing them with the information that they need has anybody been hurt um, I think it's a little bit too early to say that at the moment. Um, there's a lot of assessment going on to damage properties. People are being moved out of properties, some into hotel accommodation, some into parish halls, and there's a lot of those on the island. Um, we're not aware of any really big numbers of people being hurt, but obviously, you know, as property gets inspected, you're going to discover things that perhaps you didn't know first thing this morning. Some of the pictures up on the BBC and other from very early morning, literally from first light, they're showing colossal damage. Huge swells. Uh, has there been flooding? Uh, there has been flooding. Um, there has been flooding in various parts of um, the town, St Helier, and the surrounding parishes, uh, especially the ones that are close to the coast. I mean, it's a situation you have a breakwater with a road, and the opposite side of the road are houses. And the waves last night were just breaking 
over the breakwater and obviously water is getting into pro- uh, properties we've seen a picture ironically in um parish called saint clement earlier on that was flooded and the owner cleaning up holding a big sea bass that had um arrived from not from the fishmonger from the sea crikey now supplies being an island being a, a little collection of islands there you're very dependent on on services supplies getting in and out is there are you have you stocks of food and uh, it, things it, it it, it's been it's been quite difficult. Uh, there was a lot of panic buying going on Wednesday, Thursday, um, when people were, were told, "Do you know what? Thursday, you're going to have to stay home." Um, there's been no ferries into the island today, um, or out of the island today, and that's the way a lot of the food arrives. The airport effectively closed yesterday at five o'clock. It won't reopen until tomorrow, but all of these things are subject to inspections and making sure that uh, the equipment that's required is, is up to speed and is working. So. At the minute, people have food and the supermarkets here are saying, you know, we have got additional supplies. Please don't panic buy. But um, it's not only today when we've got high winds, tomorrow as well, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, the, the ferry company Condor Ferries is saying potentially their high speed services won't run until Tuesday of next week. Because you have daily ferries, don't you, between and to the islands? Yeah, um, the, the ferries uh, either come from the UK from Poole or from Portsmouth. Um, some go via Guernsey and then come on to ourselves. And we also go from Guernsey and Jersey to San Marlo as well. So there's there's different ways of getting food in. We have food from the French supermarket Carrefour, uh, as well as people like Morrison's and Co-op on the island here. But if those those boats don't come in, um, the only thing we really have on the island that we create is milk. Jersey milk is fantastic, yeah. so there's plenty of that to go around. Yeah, yeah. Some of the hotels, uh, popular hotels, going back many years, that people would have stayed in who, when, when we had a, and you may remember, we had a scheduled flight from Cork to Jersey once or twice a week uh, back in the day. Uh, the hotels have pitched in and given people shelter. Yeah, this is what's happened. Um, uh, there's not a great deal of accommodation on the island or spare accommodation, and uh, it, it's incredibly expensive. But when things like this happen, um, this happened um, what just over 12 months ago, there was the gas explosion here. Yeah. The island really does rally round and do what's required. So some of these people whose houses have been well extremely badly damaged are now being accommodated by local hotels. Uh, some are in parish halls, and I'm sure over the coming days we'll hear some incredible stories of people going the extra mile to make sure everybody you know has a roof over their head mm. what is the population roughly jason these days um we're about a hundred thousand people on jersey in guernsey it's around about sixty-five thousand people so all told you know give or take hundred and seventy thousand people between the two islands so it doesn't take very long for you to connect one person to the other i was looking at a picture that we shared on our website earlier on today and i went oh that's my old landlord, Graham, who was um, a retained firefighter, and he's been out all night. I was chatting to his wife earlier on. Um, basically, doing what's required, the fire service are going around, and they're being escorted by tree surgeons to clear routes to get them to where they need to be today. That's how bad things are here. Do you have soldiers on the island? I don't think there is um, soldiers as such. There is there is a barracks on the island. Um, I'm not sure how many people are actually there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure, as you know, uh, Jersey Guernsey are crown dependencies, so we yeah. have our own sort of um, government system and taxation system. Yeah. But if push comes to shove, um, the UK come along and help us out. So I would expect probably over the next few days we're going to see some people coming in, some specialists coming in from the mainland. 
Okay. Well, we wish everybody well. People were asking, were calling us this morning, Jason, to see could we check in with Jersey. I'm glad you've taken time from an extraordinarily busy day uh, to be with us. Stay safe over there. You tell us there's more wind and rain on the way. Uh, be careful. And uh, be, because he's got an Irish name, we, we apologize for the damage no Kieran no is doing. Uh, hi, PJ. Hi to Jason. We missed the connection between Cork and Jersey. Uh, Howard David Park in Jersey must be one of the nicest parks anywhere. The hotels are great value especially out the countryside. We have fabulous members, too, of Guernsey, only a short hop from Jersey. Great hotel dinner there in the Freakway Country Club. Pub grub in Jersey like nowhere else. Please bring back the direct flight. I can't remember when that direct flight ended. It's a, it's a, it's a while ago. And my, my mum and dad, I seem to remember. I seem to... I may be wrong here, okay? I may be wrong. But my dad, uh, my late dad, was a founder member of the Cork Gar the Choir back in the day, back in the 70s. And I do believe that they used to travel to Jersey for concerts. I, I, I'm not surely not imagining that. Um, but it's a place of great affection, held in great affection uh, by, by Cork people. I have a good pal, actually, Alan Carney. I've never had a chance to, to um, name check him. But he's back in Cork in the last couple of years, and we have we've been threatening to have a pint uh, almost since he arrived back. Um, but he lived in Guernsey, or was it Guernsey or Jersey, for donkey's years. There was also another little island called Sark, but I don't know if anybody lives there. But thank you to Jason, uh, Jason, Jason King from Channel One Hundred Three in uh, Jersey. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Stay safe over there. Guys. Join the conversation. Call us now. 0818 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Do you remember Georgina was on the show yesterday? Her parents had booked a trip to Berlin uh, using KLM out of Cork for her dad's 60th birthday. They'd booked the tickets for the plane, they'd booked the flight back in May and turned up on the Friday of the Jazz uh, to discover they were on standby. And the whole weekend just went very pear-shaped from there on. But the question that jumped out of that conversation for us anyway was, how on earth, if you buy and pay for tickets in May, can you turn up at the end of October and find that you are on standby? Hopefully we'll get a chance to answer that question uh, before the end of the show on Corrie will will join me to, to help with that. We've had an email from a very concerned Mount Oval resident, um, which follows on from what Peter Horgan was saying earlier on about antisocial behaviour and four arrests up there on Tuesday night, Halloween. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday night, Halloween. And indeed, we got other calls to say that it wasn't just in the one place, that the trouble was everywhere. So I will come back to that email, I promise. And Ashling was on from Vision of Beauty. Now, you'll have heard last week Ashling's interview with Gareth, um, which is available on our podcast if you want to go look for it. But it's a stunning story of how affected people were by the floods. Ashling herself, just devastated, just devastated and a very moving interview. Uh, so moving, in fact, that, that Gareth himself became quite emotional while talking to her. Impossible not to. Impossible not to. Harrowing story. She was afraid of the sound of rain. 
Such was the devastation to her house and her business. She was terrified of the sound of more rain. Can you imagine being like that in Ireland, headed into the few weeks we headed into now? Um, she has gotten herself a premises, a temporary premises, in the local GA club, and we wished her well with it yesterday. Delighted to do that. And we hope that it, it comes flying back for her, all her business. We know it will. Vision of Beauty is her business. And Ashling sent me a message this morning. Thank you for wishing us well on air. To send it to Fergal, thanking me for wishing them well on air. Yesterday was chaotic then with the fear of a re-flood. I just want to say thanks. I hope you're feeling better. I am. Thank you very much, Ashling. And I want to thank all Atlantic Six men for being so supportive. Would you believe, she says, get this now. Would you believe the council wouldn't even give us sandbags yesterday? We, as an estate, we people had to pool our own money and buy sand from a builder. The council gave us empty sandbags, and they broke their flippin' heart, didn't they? But we had to buy sand and fill them ourselves. That's how much they care. If anybody wants to contact Ashling to give her a bit of business and uh, to be, be, help her to get... Vision of Beauty back up and running again. Her number, well, she's on WhatsApp. Uh, she's on Facebook, Instagram, Google Maps, if you want to look it up. But her WhatsApp is 087-620-1326. 087-620-1326. And very happy to help out with that. We've had some more stuff about the bins around Europe. I might have to hold on to that until tomorrow. We'll soon see. Uh, Ack on... in. With Cork Acro, such a shame to hear Neil on. I don't know him, but I do know they do great work with children who have Down syndrome. Sadly, their need for physical fitness is often overlooked in the panic to help them in other ways, but they're excellent at adapting to and helping those kids. And Cork Acro looking for a premises now for the for the foreseeable while they put try and put their own one back together. The apprentice of the year. 2023 joins me for a conversation. Um, Hazel Johnson is from where's she from? She's from Longford, I think. But she had she studied, is studying, in fact, engineering at uh, Munster Technical University (MTU), regional tech, like as we call it years ago, CIT. She's studying um, as in an engineering apprentice through. MTU. And so, given the interest in apprenticeships on this show over the last while, we thought we should catch up with her. Hiya, Hazel. Good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Good morning. We've talked on this program many times about the need for apprenticeships. And if you just look out there, Hazel, electricians yeah. and any kind of tradesperson, they're in very short supply and, and, and apprenticeships, people just don't do them anymore. And and sometimes when you go to your parents, a young person might go to their parents and say, I want to be an apprentice mechanic or I want to be an apprentice electrician or I want to be an apprentice engineer. They get a strange reaction. You did. Yeah, like I did very well in my leaving cert. So my parents expected me to go off to college and study and get my degree and then when I told them that I wanted to go and do this they were they were shocked and the, po- the point I'm really trying to get across is apprenticeships shouldn't be an option for people who don't think they'll do well academically or an option that people think mm. they can fall back on if they don't get into their course in college for me it was my first choice so I think 
in schools especially, they should really be focusing more on educating students on apprenticeships and how good apprenticeships really are. And parents as well. Parents are a massive factor in what people choose to do coming out of school. I, I am someone who did very well in their leaving cert. So the traditional academic route was expected of me. Um, even with my parents, they, they were shocked when I told them I was going to do an apprenticeship. But um, I was I was going to go to college and I was going to study commerce. I was always interested in engineering, but I was I was nervous to go ahead and do it, especially as a girl. So when I saw this apprenticeship um, advertised, I jumped at the opportunity. It's it's been absolutely amazing. It, it's a no. It was a no brainer for me to take it on. It, you know, getting the industry experience with my apprenticeship, I'll get three or four years industry experience mm. on top of a college degree, a level seven or a level eight degree right. in manufacturing engineering so it's just it was just an absolute no-brainer and um, it made so much sense to me what did your parents say when you said i'm going to be an apprentice they they didn't really know what to say they they didn't know anything about it to be honest they as i said they weren't educated enough on apprenticeships they wanted me to go i i was going to go and study commerce mm-hmm. and they were delighted with that they wanted me to go and study commerce and they didn't try and talk me out of doing the apprenticeship but they were they were quite shocked. They, they, there's such a stigma around apprenticeships yeah. that they thought it was, they thought it was for people who weren't academic and weren't going to do well academically. But now they're, they're delighted that I'm doing this apprenticeship. They're, they're going around telling everyone how great apprenticeships are now. Good. There's, there, there's one misconception out there that apprentices don't end up getting well paid. I mean, I'm sorry, that one should have been bust years ago. You talk to a, a, an electrician or a carpenter or a plumber who's in demand, they get well paid. I'm sure engineers do yeah. too. Yeah, well, as someone coming out of school, I was delighted with how much I was getting paid. Oh, you got paid from day one, do you? Oh, yeah, you're paid from day one and you're paid in college and, yeah, it's great. Wow. crazy. <laughs> but it's not even just the money, it's all the time you have so if you're doing if you're going normally into college as a college student you still have to have a part-time job outside of that if you do an apprenticeship I have every weekend free I have every evening free um to do whatever I want whereas all my friends are under a lot of pressure in college trying to work part-time jobs study go to college so it's that isn't really talked about a lot either like you could do a standard, regular, if you want, academic engineering degree, yeah. or you could do it the way you did it. What's the difference? So you get three years, three or four years industry experience, which is so sought after by employers. Whereas someone coming out of college, they could have absolutely no experience um, and no hands-on experience. Even in my even in my college, we do get a lot of hands-on experience. But someone coming out of a university may never have worked on on some of the machines before so I was absolutely shocked when I heard that. So how early into your couple of years were you actually on a floor of a factory or a site handling equipment? Straight away I was thrown in to the deep end it was learn fast a sink or swim situation and I, I had absolutely no previous experience so it was really I had to learn fast or or that was it. And did you enjoy that, being thrown in like that at the deep end? To be honest, I didn't really have any time to think of it. I just, I, I was just thrown in there. But the mentorship that I had was absolutely amazing and the support that I had. So working working in a place like Diffuse Synthes, the support is phenomenal and everyone is there to help you, especially 
as an apprentice. So there's nothing to be afraid of as long as you're willing to put some to put the work in. So while you're in college, you're also an apprentice in an industry, learning your trade hands on and learning it in, in book form, if you like, in the college and the two are happening together. And at the end of it, then, did you have a job lined up or what happens? Well, first of all, the college and work. So I'm in college from September until December full time. Right. And then I'm in work from January until September full time. So they're both kind of separate. So when I'm in college, I'm not working on site at all. And when I'm when I'm then in work, I do have a few assignments to do. But they those assignments would be to do with what I'm doing out in industry. So I'm just writing about what I'm doing in industry. So everything I do in college, I get to apply when I'm working, which is which is a great way of doing it. Okay, good. I know you said you had assignments, but did you have to do exams as well? Oh, yeah. So when I'm in college, yeah, I have assignments, exams. It's just like going to college normally. It is quite... College is hard, I won't lie. It's, um, it is tough to get through, but um, having the industry experience to fall back on really does help. And the fact that you're applying what you're doing in college into your into your work life really, really helps you as well. So I, I don't think I would have been able to get through an engineering degree unless I actually went into work and saw what engineers do day to day. There was a perception, maybe it's in the past now, I don't know, that most engineers are men. How did you find, what was your class, what was the makeup of your class? Um, yeah, my class, the, there's eight apprentices taken on in my year three years ago, and it was a 50-50 male-female split. And even in college, I think there's a 50-50 male-female split as well, so that's great to see. Fantastic. So how did the Apprentice of the Year come around? Who put you up for that? It was actually my manager just filled out a form about just things I was doing on day to day basis in work and how I was helping out in work and so the pre they, they they nominated you yeah they nominated me basically yeah so what did you have to what did you have to do then in in terms of a competition did you have to go and show people what you could do no it was just all the categories were so different there wasn't anything necessary that we had to do so it was just our managers wrote about certain categories and certain things that we did on a day-to-day basis right. and then the judges judged off, judged us off that and there was 222 people selected out of all the yeah. apprentices that were put forward and yeah. Your managers must have been well impressed with you then, Hazel. Well, yeah, um, it's great to see that all the hard work paid off. Isn't yeah. it fantastic? Yeah, Congratulations. So so here you are now you. with your apprenticeship and your reward. What does the future hold for you, do you think? I don't really know, to be honest. I'm still in college, so I hope this time next year I hope to qualify and become right. an automation engineer. And then I could go into people management. I could become a subject matter expert. I, I don't really know what I want to go into yet. So I'm just I'm just taking it day by day so far automation engineering what what does yeah what does that cover what areas does that cover it sounds to me like a lot of machinery yeah well it is so without going, getting too technical i'm um i'm part of a team that um help automate manufacturing processes in the recent days so it's very interesting so getting from a to b you and your colleagues fill in the bit in between yeah yeah pretty much yeah that's pretty cool.
It is pretty cool, yeah. You'd be encouraging others, not just women, but others to try the apprenticeship route, wouldn't you? Definitely, definitely. After doing the apprenticeship, I, I couldn't see a better way of, beco- of becoming an engineer anyways. The apprenticeship route is phenomenal. Mm. Um, obviously, there's some things that it's probably better going to college. There's some things, and anything hands-on, the apprenticeship route is much, much better, in my opinion. And hopefully it becomes more widespread and more companies start doing it. And you went through MTU, they have a wide range too, don't they? They do. MTU um, is great for apprenticeships. There's a lot of trade apprenticeships in MTU, a lot of, like I'm doing, engineering apprenticeships. MTU is great for that. Congratulations to you, Hazel, and the best of luck for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Hazel. Hazel. Hazel, thank you. On apprenticeships, Kate says, my two brothers-in-law are plumber and electrician up to their eyes in work and it's great to see people going into apprenticeships we need all those skills we need all those trades right let us clear some of our correspondence because on dogs dogs were first uh, topic this morning we were talking to Catherine Griffin of snout and about She's a dog behaviourist about XL bullies and other such breeds. The British have moved to ban the XL bully now from the 1st of January. We have a list of 10 restricted breeds in this country. And chatting to Catherine, she she doesn't believe it's ever the dog's fault. She doesn't believe in aggressive breeds. She doesn't believe... In dangerous breeds, she believes it's all about the individual dog and the individual owner. And we had a very good conversation, and we will we will podcast that. Um, she and I didn't agree all the way, but we had a good chat. Uh, Bernie says the dogs are picking up the aggression from the people around them. They're owners. That's why they're changing. Mary says every dog is an individual. We had a Jack Russell... We had to rehome because he was aggressive. The second one we had was the biggest and softest pet. We, yeah, we had a Jack Russell at home donkeys years ago. I was only a kid. We had a Jack Russell called what's the name? It was Rory? It was Rory? The Jack was it? Rory? And Rory used to chase the ambulance. Um, there was a kid living down the road from us at home, and she was picked up every morning by ambulance to go to a special school. And Rory used to chase the ambulance. And even after the ambulance hit him, um, he still chased it every day. He ended up living out his life on, on a farm down in East Cork with my uncle. And he thrived down there. But yeah, Jack Russells are funny little dogs. And Moira says, PJ, it was Jack Russell that savaged the baby in Waterford two years ago. So don't underestimate them. And actually, Catherine did say that, that Jack Russells can turn vicious. They're snappy little devils, all right. I remember that incident, Moira. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, Michaela, I was bitten by a Jack Russell as a child. Not very badly. I didn't need treatment, but I was bitten. I've had terriers since as pets, and they growl and snap at toddlers. It's down to the training and to the care of the dog. It doesn't matter the breed. No dog should be expected to act like a human. They're animals, and we need to do our bit too as owners and carers. Yeah, yeah, they are animals, and we should always keep that distance between us. But <laughs> trust me when I tell you, I have a little fella, little Cavachon, Harry. Harry is seven. 
uh, white fella. And we were sitting down the other night at home watching the telly, and we had snacks, crisps, or whatever they were having. And of course, he was bumming. He was on the bum. He was looking for something. And my wife just said to me, she said, he would bore into your soul. He can stare into your soul. <laughs> Surely aggression is in the breeding uh, down the line, says another comment. Jesus, PJ. And on XL bullies then. Jesus, PJ. Why would anybody want such an ugly dog? Is it a status thing or what? And it's usually burly, tattooed men that own these dogs. <laughs> said, well, not. And that's not for me to say, but yes. It's hard to disagree as well. Oh wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on the minimum wage, and speaking to Sarah, whose daughter's working in a supermarket and being paid around eight euro an hour, which for her age, she's seventeen, is the allowed seventy percent of the minimum wage. So the supermarket are entitled to pay her just seventy percent of the minimum wage because of her age. Kevin says if you're at university and working paying your own way through these kids deserve massive respect rather than the line, well, they've got money for cans. I love how people are okay with discrimination as long as they're not the ones being discriminated. If you're 17 and doing the same job as a 22-year-old, you're entitled to exactly the same wages. Yes, says Kevin, I used the E word (coughs) almost as bad as the F word in the one voice. You... Yeah. I don't know, Kev. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like a person who's 22 has been working for a bit longer and is a bit more used to the workplace. person going in on their first job at 17. I don't know. I certainly didn't get that when I went for my first job. I was given a... I was paid according to being a a teenager and being a kid, learning how to work. I'd learn how to work first, then learn it, learn how to do the job. Thanks for that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp. Oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Catherine was on the phone from a snout at about dog behaviours. Catherine, it was my clumsy choice of words. I should not have attributed to you at all that uh, Jack Russells are aggressive. That was my clumsy choice of words. I'm sorry for that. Um, Jack Russells attack people and have attacked people. But <clears throat> happy, to, happy to clarify that. That was the opinion of one or two commenters actually on our thread this morning from that conversation but uh, thank you and we will podcast that interview with Catherine uh, after the show happy to clarify they were my clumsy words not yours Catherine thank you 0818969696 now tell me about this Vinnie Glennon you want people to tell on a website what rent they are being charged good morning Good morning, PJ. So yes, the story is for the Cork renters listening in. So whenever you're renting, you have no information on what the past rents or their experiences were like before you moved into the property. I think everyone I've spoken to have a horror story of some sort when it comes to renting. Yeah. But this information gets lost each new rental cycle whenever they move out. For many people, a rent is like their biggest expense each month, but people have no data on it. So um, like a nice story at the weekend, I was chatting to a friend of mine 
And when he moved out, an old couple were moving into the apartment and they just managed to overlap each other. And one of the conversations was, is there any mold in the house? Um, because they're quite elderly, they didn't want to have a house with this. And he could tell them that actually there was. And they could find out where it was and then get in, inform them as if they should move in or not into that place. So you've so, set up howmuchrent.com? Exactly. For the purpose of being able to track, uh, you know, when you go to the website, you can zoom into Cork, into Dublin, wherever you want. You can, see, you can see all the properties are there. You can see listings from Daft, all the previous property prices that they have advertised at. Also, people are coming in and adding in their own rent and their own descriptions. So you want to put the price of rent of a pub, of a private property on a public website? Exactly. All the existing websites uh, are very much landlord-focused. There are no tools, no websites there just for t the tenants. And right. to me, the most obvious one is how have prices changed over time? For uh, Another example is when I was last living in Dublin, I was told that the apartment I was in, I had to move out because they were giving it over to their niece, which is perfectly fine. I moved out and two weeks later, I sold back on to Daft.ie with a 20% increase in rent. Mm. And this is the kind of stuff, like, we can't solve the housing crisis, but all you can do is try and put transparency into what landlords are doing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I, <clears throat> imagine I'm a landlord then, and I and I own a property, and I'm renting it to you, uh, and you will put what we have as a rent agreement up on howmuchrent.com. The next person, when you move out, the next person that wants to rent would be able to see what I've been charging you and can challenge me then on on what I want to charge them. So, yes, so landlords generally have to register with the RTB Residence Tenants Board. Mm. They have this, all this information, but the tenants themselves have no access to this information. Yeah. Also, I'm, I'm very cautious that people may not want to inform uh, what they're currently paying their rent, but maybe you can add in what you paid in your last two or three places that you stayed in. Like that historical information is just right. as, as valuable. So then if you have a, a number, you might have an area, let's pick an area of Cork, let's pick Blackpool, you'd have information from lots of people who'd rented lots of places and you'd have loads of, loads of figures and that would be able to sort of guide you as to what the rent should be in that area. Every house could be a little bit different, like, uh, you know, three-bedroom houses or uh, if you're sharing with people, you know, there may be different qualities of the houses. More importantly, though, is what people have paid, what people are charged just before you move into that specific property. That's the end goal. I remember when I was looking at accommodation before, I was like, I have no idea what I've been charged, what they were being charged or if I'm being overcharged at this moment. Mm. It's quite hard to get like a, an overall general average view um, because, you know, every house can be very different. Yeah, I'm looking at the the front page of of it now. I have it here in front of me, and it, you you describe it as a dedicated platform for transparent rental insights. So let's imagine in a year's time that hundreds of people, maybe thousands, have engaged with howmuchrent.com. What would you like? What what will it be then? It'll be a database of information, I imagine. Uh, to be decided, basically, I wanted to release it. It's not uh, looking amazing at the moment, but I want to release it as fast as possible just to get feedback from people yeah. like yourselves. Um, the functional thing is really what it is, and, and, and it seems easy to use too, which I compliment you on that. Thank you. Uh, interestingly, when I was trying to figure out do I work in this, I actually went around to uh, a lot of different landlords and estate agents, and all of them thought that this is a really bad idea. I actually took that as encouragement that, okay, uh, if they're all, it's the first time I've ever seen all landlords all 
unanimously agreeing on one thing that this is a bad idea. Why did they think um, it was a bad so, idea, Vinny? I don't. I think they just didn't see any uh, utility in it. That's you know that they could potentially say information is being overshared. Um, they didn't want this information to be released. Um, you know that they're storing this information with the RTB at the moment. You know, then they need the tenants to know about this, which I just yeah. thought was a little bit unfair. Yeah. So you you believe that the amount of rent payable on a property or that was paid on a property pre- should be a publicly accessible figure. A hundred percent. And once I got the first version of the website up, I went to a couple of student unions. And one student union in Dublin is looking to roll it out um, across their campus in the next couple of days. And I got very encouraging conversations with the Student Union of Ireland. They are looking to roll this out across all the student unions in Ireland. Excellent. I think students are the first line that are the most effective. And every time I talk to people about this, people can just seem to relate to this. And I think it's because most Irish people do have some kind of a rental horror story or something where if they just had a little bit more information, they could have made a different choice. It is an interesting concept. I wish you well with it. It looks well. I know it's in a very much a, a work in progress at the moment, but you can have a look at it, anyone. Howmuchrent.com. How, www, of course. Howmuchrent.com. That's uh, Vinny Glennon. Thank you, Vinny. 0818969696. My daughter got bitten in the face. Another boy in the city recently got mangled by a pit bull. But I have friends who have pit bulls and XLs. They're the quietest, loveliest dogs ever. It's all in the way they're raised. I think people should need licenses or be members of kennel clubs. But I will tell you exactly what we also need. That is things like five-year sentences for you when your dog attacks. You need a certain bit of leeway, obviously. But in a lot of cases, it's obvious that the owner either doesn't care or may even have trained the animal to be aggressive. We've licenses for cars, we've licenses for guns, and broadly speaking, it all works. The licensing system for dogs should be enforced, be stricter, and be used against people who don't care about their dog's behaviour. That is interesting. Yeah, you should. The dog license is only a revenue-raising exercise, really, when you think about it, isn't it? Can you see any other reason for paying twenty or thirty or whatever it is, forty quid, for your dog license, um, other than to raise a bit of revenue? It's not enforceable in any way. Oh, wait, one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now, we were on to uh, Georgina yesterday morning. So, Georgina, her parents were travelling to Berlin for her dad's 60th birthday. They went over to Berlin for the jazz. And they were to leave on Friday morning. They booked this trip in May. And they paid for their flights in May. And they turned up at the airport last Friday to be told they were on standby. That's the first problem. Then their luggage went missing. They were going from Cork to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Berlin with KLM, and then, of course, the luggage goes missing in between. (laughs) Georgina was on the phone to us this morning and said the bag is now en route to Berlin. Parents are back in Cork, and the suitcase is living its best life. It's going to Berlin. (laughs) Hopefully, eventually, it'll get back here. However, let's deal with one or two of those issues. Owen Curry, of editor of the air of the editor of Air and Travel magazine. Let's jump to that one straight away. Owen, Georgina's mom and dad booked their tickets, booked their flights, and paid for their flights in May. They turn up at the KLM desk in October to find they were in standby. How the hell does that happen? Good morning. 
Good morning. I think we have a few minutes of the morning left. Welcome to the crazy world of aviation. Overbooking is standard. They would overbook by 10, 11 seats on some flights, and they do it all the time, and they calculate that people don't show up. And it's really interesting uh, because it's an evolving situation, PJ. Not every airline does it. The one we, the two, the airline we fly most with in Ireland, Ryanair, does not overbook at all. They say your seat is paid for; it's there for you. But a lot, the tradition in aviation has been that a certain number, a large number of people, fail to show up for flights, and the air, airlines usually get away with overbooking by a small number. And they calculate what the frequency of the no-shows on the route. That's the phrase they use. It's used as a verb as well in aviation. Um, and then when it goes wrong, they have a problem. Mm. How do they solve it? They, Americans famously offer money uh, to people. They say, uh, you know, if you, there's a sort of a gambling thing when you wait at the gate and they say, we'll give you $50. It goes up to 100 It goes up to 200 And they also give you an alternative flight. And um, I suspect that a, the overbooking policy for this airline really is built for somewhere other than Cork because it generally w- happens at big hub airports where people miss connections all the time. Mm. Yeah, they had a problem with their connection ongoing as well because they found that the the, the standby had gone right through on standby. But again, these were tickets they paid for in May. Very frustrating, Owen. Hugely frustrating. The EU and the consul- wants to get rid of it altogether. It's one of the dafter ends of the industry. And you find it with the legacy airlines, the mm. Air France, KLM, IAG, British Airways, mm. uh, Lufthansa. You don't find it, uh, as I say, with Ryanair. Inter- interesting uh, you should say that. For all the things people give out about about Ryanair, they don't do this. They never have. Now, the thing also is very important that uh, usually uh, in America, they let you through to the gate and then they start solving the overbooking problem. In Ireland, they don't let you pass check-in. The European consumer people have worked to say, do not overbook, but the airlines persist in doing it because an awful lot of the flights are outside Europe. As I say, the big hubs, Paris, Charles de Gaulle, Heathrow, Amsterdam, that's where they generally get away with. I've been seriously overbooked. I remember being overbooked. I was 23rd on the waiting list in Mexico City to get to a, a connecting flight and I got on board. That's how how many people fail to show very often in these situations. Right. So it, it does work for them, but when it, they get it wrong, it's the consumer that ends up in the very bad situation. Yeah. Now, once you're on, uh, you've had a problem with your check-in uh, to start with, your bag is, can't be put on board for security reasons until you're on board. If you finally, you know, you get on board at very short notice, the bag sometimes doesn't get loaded. Uh, the, the baggage with the over with the, if the the overbooking problem is then compounded with the baggage problem. Getting the bag on board when the passenger is finally accommodated. Sometimes you don't know you're on board until the gate's about to close. That's yeah. happened to me on more than one occasion. If you have a printed boarding pass, this has just come in on the phone, Owen. If you have a printed boarding pass, surely you can't be overbooked. You have a printed boarding pass in your hand. And it, that that certainly is true when you check in and you get your boarding pass. Now, people who have checked in online, generally, you're safe. And But the I've heard of cases where the online boarding process has not worked. Now, the other thing, there are other things that happen. Uh, I don't know what the airline situation is in this, 
But uh, quite a, a regular thing to happen is that the aircraft is substituted by another one. So you could end up with a, a particularly, uh, you know, Ryanair have the same size, the same number of seats in every aircraft. Um, what tends to happen is that a smaller aircraft is put on the route. So that's where it, it really, really it pushes mm. the overbooking. Okay. And it's unfortunate, but it's a, it's a thing. Owen, thank you, Owen Curry, editor of Air and Travel magazine. It is overbooking. They all do it, with the exception of the one they all complain about, Ryanair. Don't do it at all. Thank you, Owen. Maybe that answers some questions for Georgina and her folks. I didn't get to the email from Mount Oval. I will promise I will do that tomorrow. Program edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Richard Vickery. And we shall talk to you tomorrow, Friday, just after nine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.